charming quality to have in a podcast like you like yeah. to hear the go it just le- it lends an element of realism right it's like pre-distressed jeans we, we could just be like purely woven Ugh, my me- denim but that's the horrible metaphor is denim woven i don't know shut up what <laughs> no, I've, I, no i was like i literally don't know like how i is, don't know how is denim made it, let's get into well, that well it was created like, like denim jeans was created because like um, from what I learned in high school, which a lot of stuff I learned in high school was wrong. But like, it's, somebody was like, you know, man, I can use a really good pair of jeans because he was a tent maker, so he just turned the <coughs> tent into jeans, and then he died, and then his prodigy was gonna take over his business, and they took the Titanic and died. <laughs> no way. Wait, what? Well, that's what my high school teacher told is me. That's fucking wrong. true. Yeah. This is yeah. the history of jeans. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up right now. So. The history of jeans. So how did the tent maker do it? I guess no, that was maybe the tent maker because everybody had fucking tents already. Wait, can I cut some this? <laughs> yes, you can denim, fucking square all you fucking want. As okay, of, yeah. So they, yeah, go ahead, go they, off, Kate. They had enough. They had enough tents because like they had enough gold near the river, so they just. I could be totally wrong about this. There was so much stuff I learned in high school that was like wrong later on, so I can be talking on my ass right now. <laughs> yeah, like a, uh, fucking Columbus, man. Am I right? Yeah, dude. Shoutouts! Shoutouts to Columbus Day. Just kidding. I uh, wait. So is that why? Is that when you get a boner in your jeans? It's called tenting. (laughs) Yes, maybe. (laughs) Full circle. Oh shit! You can get a jeans boner. You, it's powerful. That's one that shouldn't go to waste. But yeah, that's more like if you're 17 and you're first getting boner, or not first getting boners, but you got some young boner happening. Time out. Time out. Okay, listen. I will. I will approve incest talk on this podcast because of the book we're talking about today but i but i will not yeah exactly but i will paul does but i will not approve you have a sister oh yeah Yeah. that's just a fact but i will not approve 17 year old boner talk that's that's banned at least why'd you have to say 17 you couldn't have just said 18 it was when i was 17 i know i know in some states it's my own but like oh that's true well, that's we're true. all in different states, so I think that's a federal thing now. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I can citizen. You can citizens arrest Paul, or I don't know what can happen here. I can feel the FBI van pulling in, <laughs> or just tuning in. We've already tuning. just fucking spiked this whole episode. It's just gonna get d- deleted from everywhere. Well, this is good. I mean, this is a great segue, right? Because uh, you know, sur- surveillance and the FBI. These are conspiratorial elements in the culture. Yes, uh, what a yes. segue, what a segue. Wait, I just want to be clear, though. Denim, is denim cotton, or what? Like, what is it made out of? It's made out of denim. 
Is it, it okay? Yeah, so it's like a sui generous thing. thing. No, it's cotton. Oh, it is cotton. Oh, you're can't a little hear, muted, dude. Yeah, you must have covered your. Oh yeah. Oh no. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's better. Uh, yeah, I, I barely did anything, but okay. I think you just covered your <laughs> mic or something. I don't think yeah. so. My mic's up, up here. This is per. Whatever this is, is the juice. I'll just leave it. The Jews? <laughs> the, no, Jews. no, the Jews. God, Gabe, what the hell? No, fuck. Wow. <laughs> Your first Jewish guest on here, and you do that question. Wow. <laughs> oh, fuck me. So we got a few JQs for you. Yeah. Gabe is oh. muted the rest of the episode. Jesus. <laughs> All right, so we've already touched on underage sexuality and <laughs> Jewish jokes. Great. This is great. This podcast is going off on the right foot. So another relevant topic. How do you guys feel about Afghanistan right now? <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Oh God. Hilarious. Uh, Twenty years down the drain. Yes, we we did we did touch on that a little bit when we were talking about. Um, I guess I last week West? we talked about it a little bit, right? I can't remember oh, if we talked about too that much. one thing. Um, this one commission that you guys hated or something like that. I had no idea what it was about. Not commission, commission, but like, um, sorry, I shouldn't say commission with Jews at the same time, but, um, <laughs> this one industry, this one industry, like, McKinsey and Company. Like oh, McKinsey. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had no idea what that was. Yes. That's, uh, that, that's just a, a personal bugaboo, I suppose, or a as hobby Eddie, horse. As Eddie, as Eddie Bravo would say, look into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look into that later. Yeah. Hashtag research McKinsey. So the the astute listener will have uh, put the pieces together, McElroy style, and, and deduced that what we're talking about is uh, Cannonball by Joseph McElroy today. Yes, and, and we also have a guest. They the would extra, the extra astute listener. If they listener. have, if they're YouTubers and listen to BookTube, they'll probably be like, I know that voice from somewhere. Oh, YouTube, and look who it is. <laughs> YouTube, YouTube star. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, floor, uh, we, floor we, is yours. we are we are blessed today to have uh, Ben from the the Bookshore channel on YouTube. Uh, I I don't think this is out of line to say BookTube's foremost McElroy expert uh, on the podcast this evening to talk about McElroy. So uh, I, I hate I, I hate that uh, <laughs> domination of the McElroy's. Because like, oh yeah, the microwave skull. I'm like, Rrr. but like, I think it just might be true, just because nobody else has read his whole over. Listen, um, uh, uh, listen. That's it. A, a win by TKO is still a win, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I always say, you, you either be a cheater or a loser. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but, um, Ben, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate thanks. it, man. I, I appreciate you having, um, letting me come on. And I actually have a cool McElroy announcement. Um, I'm working with um, Nick Voro, who had a little bit of um communication with McElroy in the past and he has five super rare McElroy short stories that I missed that he's helping me get and so I can review for the channel as well. So No shit. Five more McElroy videos. Yeah, the Like unpublished or published like in like weird weird ass one off magazines and stuff like that. Hell yeah. And like there's one that's super rare that he has access to. Like he found it I don't know if I can say it, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. He found it on microfilm and like he transcribed it for McElroy, and we're gonna try to um that one's not in the five right now because we're just gonna try to get permission to, from McElroy to see if we can make it 
available to everybody and everything. But there's no promises on that. I, we don't even know if we can get a hold of McAvoy. So, <laughs> but the previous still communication living, with him and everything. He's still living in New York City. Yeah, he's next to you guys. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. That's fucking breaking news. Wow. On, uh, in, in the literary world on the Spinecrackers podcast. Yeah, and think, um, give thanks to Nick Vo. That's Nick and then V-O-R-O. He's on Instagram. He has a, he has a um, self-published book that came out just recently also. Oh, no shit. Shout-outs to yeah, Nick yeah. Voro. Sweet. Any, um, any, any, any uh, sort of association with Dezonk books that put out this edition or anything like that or no? Uh, like with me? No, no, like uh, I don't know him, and the and like the sort of five short story like project. Oh no, no, um, Nick Voice is a big McAvoy fan, and he just like he was telling me this shit like I, I he expected me to know about it, <laughs> but like <laughs> but he but like what he does is just like, he just calls libraries and just tries to find this stuff and everything. He, and he just found these five stories. Yes. I was like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about right now, but I'll read them. <laughs> that's that's fucking wild, dude. Yeah, that's the kind of energy them, we need more of. Yeah, and that's really cool. And one of them, might, I was getting a little confused, but like one of them, it might be in tandem with um, with character with a book that McAvoy's been writing. I think since eighteen or something like that. So it, like one of his unpublished works that might not be finished. Like it's it's like that one. The character um, Mike Soul is supposed to be like excerpt from the book or something. But you know, we never know how much has changed with McAvoy and like him writing for so many years. Right. Yeah, That's, I'll try to get that all together for my videos. Yeah. So, so these are basically these are basically the uh, un undiscovered scrolls that have been that have been ferried in the the underground uh, uh, wells and waterways of McElroy through history that you are unearthing along with Nick. I have no idea what you're referencing. We might as well call you Zach. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> yeah, that's... No, yeah, exactly. And actually, they're not even on his wiki. They're just like, um, he found them because like McAvoy published like a list of his works and stuff like that, and of, of all his publications. So it just it's only on McAvoy's website and how he found it and everything. So, yeah, that's honestly sick. I cannot wait to to hear about these or knock on wood, read a couple eventually. Oh, I, I'm gonna ask him if we can get him, like, kind of like with um, with uh, uh, the disconnected to see if we can make it available in the Google Drive as well. But again, we, we might just have to talk to McAvoy. So there's no promises on any of these; just promises on the on like five short stories for sure. That's sick. Still. That's yeah. that. I mean, I, that's a huge service. So <clears throat> shout outs. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. I, I that's my goal with this stuff, just to make it more. Um, available to the public and make people more aware of this that's that's like one of the main reasons i kind of want to get a bigger channel just so stuff like this guy can make it just more open to people and they can recognize it and everything yes mcavoy deserves i'm sure as you guys read from this novel deserves a lot more attention yeah i it's he's one of those we'll we'll, we'll get into it but he, he seems like uh uh yeah like very under read frankly I mean, that, that's why i picked it you know, because oh yeah, it's your pick. There are a couple, Why do you pick this book? There are a couple names that like bubble up, especially when you're in the sort of like book, whatever, like social media sphere. Like I feel like there's these people that keep getting touted as like underappreciated, completely unpublished, kind of prohibitively expensive, you know, editions floating around. Like I like I think the first person, you know, like through or or, or you yeah. know the mysterious Evandara, you just think of like people like this 
and I, I just not that they're the si- similar in sort of like their writing styles, but you know, in terms of like just not being widely available and kind of mysterious and thought of as like underappreciated, like yeah, McRoy is in it, that group. And it's funny because like I don't know if you guys did what I did, but you go under like list of like toughest authors or toughest books you can find, and like none of these guys are, like ever on there. Like I I only heard about this McRoy when I got on Instagram. Right. Hmm. Which is interesting because, yeah, I think when you do look at those lists, you see it, it just tends to be like some obvious choices, the jo- you know, Joyce, Infinite Jest, and then just like a couple random, like very long books that are not yeah. particularly difficult per se. Right. Well, Matt, I remember when we were talking about this a while ago, you said that difficult books tend to be like classified if they're super long and they just have a lot of vocabulary words that you don't know that you have to look up. And I, I think, think we've another... kind of made, I, I just feel like we've kind of made the case that like the more difficult books for me is like the way bo- a book is written, you know, Which case in point just, just this evening and not just yeah. like a lengthy book. This might well, be one that's... of the like, okay. Oh, go for it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, that's what I felt about. I had a little bit of, um, back and forth with um lookout cartridge because like that's only around the 500 page mark and people the big three before you get into finnegan's wake territory which is also aka bottom stream territory is like gravity's rainbow um ulysses and infinite jest and i never felt infinite jest belong there i don't i'm not a i'm really not a fan of it. no i'm glad you guys agree as well so uh, it just kind of felt like it protect there but i would replace infinite jest with lookout cartridge and but lookout cartridge is only 500 pages so it doesn't meet the length but it's like hey this definitely deserves to be there. Also, um, Infinite Jest knocked off Lookout Cartridge if you read that book. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, the entertainment, right? Like the sort of entertainment. Yes. Like, looking like for, a, looking yeah. for a lost film and everything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm actually doing, uh, a, 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 like, I'm reading Infinite Jest now, currently, for the first time, actually. Uh, and I'm doing shout outs to us. I'm doing vlogs about it <laughs> over on our Patreon uh, for oh, any of our listeners that want to go watch that. Um, but yeah, I'm you know I'm only like 200 pages in or something so far. But it, it I it, it I don't think it fits in that category at all. No. It's 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 readable. It's entertaining. It's funny. Like it moves. Like I get that there's you know, <clears throat> and maybe, maybe we're maybe we're opening a can of worms here, but. Sure, of course, right? Like you can go down the rabbit hole and Wallace uses a bunch of like neologisms and there's there's references and stuff like that and blah 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 blah. But it's but in terms of a reading experience, it's not like overwhelmingly difficult. Sorry, I was just laughing cuz your voice got like like more and more raspy. I've got I've got I've got I've got I've got a big fucking loogie in my throat that I got to yeah, oh, sounded like sounded you were like... slowly turning into an old man. He sounded like he's like my Grand Torino, yeah, just like right at the end there. Yeah, I think I I think you're right, Paul, because like there's there's a sort of crass definition of the difficult novel, and this is like yeah, a constantly debated whatever, blah blah blah. But like, and and a lot of the time it is just straight up, just like it's it's long, and I think it is true that like the burden of proof for why you should be reading something goes up like with every hundred pages, like, kind of exponentially, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but this, for instance, Cannonball, like, I don't think I've struggled more with the language of something, not because of, um, like, 
thesauric, you know, thesaurus level vocabulary, but just straight up like uh, just syntax. fucking syntax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, to, that that makes Infinite Jest seem like a, a, a walk in the park in terms of trying to like oh, just yeah. sort of keep a hold of the text in my head and like what's being referred to and and that that was a super interesting um experience so okay let's just um let's just matt like the you know uh uh, this was your pick you you referenced a little bit about why you picked it but is there anything else you can say about that and then as is the burden of the person who picked the book uh it falls on you this week to give a brief plot summary so good luck (laughs) uh (laughs) Uh, ben yeah, can help I, you I, out because he's the master. So if you yeah, if you get stuck, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Ben, we, I do actually have like a lot of questions for you, just because like, um, again, this is like my first McElroy, so like, I think this is all like, of our first, right? Except except Ben, obviously. No, that's my first McElroy, also. Oh well, uh, no, I mean like it's no the longer. only one that we've read so far. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but this was your first in terms of chronology, right? Right. Yeah. And you yeah. read. I just want to flag. You read. All of his work in like what eleven months or some shit. Yeah, I wanted to do it in less than a year. That's fucking <laughs> mental, dude. That's mental. Yeah, I That's... got burned out super hard, but I really enjoyed the process at the same time. That's so Jokerified of you. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we're in society. We do. Well, I don't because I was living. I was reading McRoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so my my I actually first have a question for you then, Ben. Is like, yeah. is is this um representative of the style of everything he does or like what how does this seem in in terms of his other stuff yes um so this one is a little bit more pinchonesque pinchonesque whatever um but like in terms of syntax and stuff like that yeah he, he plays around a little bit more with this and he's the one of the things i like about this book you get into is that it's kind of like our generation like with the afghan war and whatnot especially with me with socal but like for the most part, yes, some of his older novels are a bit more old man is like actors in the house, and especially mm-hmm. women and men. But um, McElroy's, except for a few novels, is actually a pretty diverse author as well. Like, he ha- definitely has his style, but the way he approaches subject matters and how he approaches the cognition of thought, um, like, when you compare that, look at characters to plus and actors in the house, they're all different approaches. In that, but, but I would say this is a this is a really good start into Macquarie, especially since it's like the cheapest book you can find. Because Ancient History, which is also accessible, <laughs> right? It, it's it's not his best work. He was still developing his style. You can tell from that one. This is one of the only. I think that's an important point, right? Like this is one of the only like readily available sort of like still right. in print, you know? Oh yeah, novels of his, right? Yeah, like um, everything. Like I got my Hind kidnapped for like a hundred bucks, and yeah. I I got lucky because. Big shout out to Bifacat. You've probably heard about him on Leaf by Leaf's channel a few times. Mm-hmm. After I did Cannonball, yep. like, I, at the end of that video, I'm like, hey, does anybody have a copy of, like, Plus? I'll buy it from you. And he was like, hey, man, I got a copy. Like, how much, man? No, nah, it's a reader's copy. I'll just give it to you. And he gave me that and Smuggler's Bible, like, two super rare copies. So once I got both of those, I was like, well, those are, like, two huge, like, because those can go for, like, $300 online and stuff like that. So I was like, well. You were like, cha-ching, got- eBay time. No, not at all. <laughs> and like, and like, um, you know, but once I got those, yeah. Once I got those two, I was like, well, you know, this guy already helped me out with two of the biggest ones. Like, I, I guess it's just time to go full hog on this and just go for it. Yeah. I, that's a, yeah. It's it's an insane amount of reading to be done. 
I like I the only other the one I was the, uh, wanted to actually do uh, to be honest not this but I just couldn't find it was plus like I wanted to read plus instead of this kind of yeah that seems um, like a fascinating tough, text it's one of the toughest novels I've read and the language is so simple yeah huh yeah very simple it's it's so difficult and I don't think you're supposed to understand everything in there but again it's not about that's that's quintessential McAvoy it's not about understanding everything it's about um. The process. Of, can I? Can I? Mind if I just give a sidetrack and give it a? What I think is just a key example of McAvoy with that. If that's what I got. Guys. I got nowhere to yeah. be. Do it. Okay. Up. So in Lookout Characters, they talk about Stonehenge just so much throughout the novel. They just keep referencing it, and I think that's the perfect metaphor for McAvoy because we don't know how Stonehenge was built, who built it, or like the reasons it was built. But like, it's an important part part of all like our history and having it there, and we study Stonehenge a lot. The process of studying Stonehenge is just as important as why it's there. So we might not know the actual reasons, but in a lot of our life, we um, the process of studying it is just more important than the actual results at the end of it. Another great example of it to real life, if you go through a breakup, you're not with that chick anymore. It's like, man, why, why did that not work out? You know, you have to... Con- never happened to anybody here, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I never even like, had Chad, sex. I pick you. <laughs> but, like, you know, it's just, it just like, um, you, you go through that. Like, you know, you go through a bad friendship or something. And it's like, I don't know. And it just kind of ends like that. It's like, I don't know why it ended. But, like, I still have to live my life. And that that hurdle is still there. So you, you have to come to some sort of conclusion on that. And oftentimes, the process of figuring out why it happened or what happened is more important than the end solution. Just like with Stonehenge. Mm. And that's... If you carry that throughout a lot of McAvoy, it makes sense and you don't get answers to certain things. That's why, because the process is more important than the actual end step. And because in human history, in life and knowledge, we don't, we'll never know everything. And there's so many gaps to, to knowledge if you actually look at it, the overview of that. I don't want to well, open up like a, another can of worms because, and we, I might, but that's like, like I watched your video on, your Murakami from like loving him to hating him, which I oh, know is this, great. Like, that I, is that is a can of worms. But like I, that's how I feel about Murakami though too. In a lot of ways, like his open-ended plot descriptions. We, um, what'd you say, Matt? Nothing. I don't oh, have to go down weak. this. Path. I got a I got a comment. I got a reply to. Like he he challenges me also, even though I think he's wrong. But go ahead for this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just saying like your basic what you it was just a it was a Paul about. sock puppet account. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was me. Boy, but I, I mean, I agree with you though. Like, I I like open ended plots that like don't give you all the answers. That's basically what all, all I'm saying is that like and I, I and like I, the process I, I, of a literary I, novel over. Yeah, and I know where you're coming from on that. I just think with Murakami, he's one a one trick pony. Um, two is that he doesn't do it to focus on the process as much. Well, I guess he kind of does, but like he does it just to be more like to obfuscate and to make it more mysterious. Well, okay, so so speaking of plot, uh, which we've already kind of uh, 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 bracketed a bit as maybe less important than some other considerations here, what is this book about, broadly, right? Uh, I'll put Matt again on the hot seat because it's his pick, but Ben, obviously, feel free to jump in. Um, just, just, just to sort of orient ourselves in terms of the text, you know, this text. What is this book about? What, what's going on? All right, I'll let you know when I've exhausted my ability to uh, to try and summarize. Uh, there's a young man. His name is Zach. I don't even know if they have a last name. I didn't. I it. I, I don't, don't think remember. so. Uh, he was a uh, 
former in his like early teens he was like a former high school i think like diver who had a a sort of accident where he sort of struck the diving board it made him board shy he's got a sister who he has a basically incestuous uh sort of infatuation and and relationship with he has a overbearing uh, I, I think it's important. Like, to, I think it's, I just think it's important to flag that that relationship is mutual. It's not like he's just creepily perving on his sister, right? True, no. true, true. And it's very and healthy yet, as well in a lot of ways. Yes, I think. Yeah, I think her spinecrackers pro of... incest confirmed. <laughs> you listen, you can't spill intercourse yeah. without incest. <laughs> <laughs> spinecrackers is is pro incest and anti boners. <laughs> <laughs> wow, confusing. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yes, it is. It is a two-way street, uh, so to speak. But um, yeah. So, so then there's this father figure who is like a, a coach of divers, but also was in the uh, army reserves or something. I like uh, sort of a shady line, figure, uh, right? Yeah. No, that was General Storm. That was the other guy, right? I think. His well, there's was... Storm Noseworthy, who is like. Someone his father knows, but I believe it's described as his father having been at some point uh, a member of the military. But then was now, released from it through presumably shady means. Okay. Yeah, and uh, but he still had all of these uh, weird connects in D.C. and whatnot, like speechwriters to the president and people who were like kind of shaping public opinion. Uh, meanwhile, you know, uh, the son, for reasons uh, Zach, for reasons that aren't. I don't think ever really totally clear enlists after high school to go and join what we are to understand as the Af- war in Afghanistan, the war on terror, etc. Uh, was it? I'm sorry. I, I, just to pause again. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. But it was it. It, it was. It, it's Afghanistan, right? Not Iraq, or or like that. That was. I don't think that's made explicitly clear in the novel. Let me let me let me check one thing then. Also, don't feel bad about checking the plot on this. I had to check the plot because there was yeah. one middle section that I thought was—I thought it was a flashback concurrent with current times, but it, it, it confused the crap out of me. It was an explosion scene. Oh, the whole timeline—the way the timeline plays out in the novel—is—is—it's—it's it's all over the place in and terms of Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. It is Iraq. Okay. Yeah. Because, and the reason that I—that I kind of was reading it as Iraq is because specifically they talk about uh, a lot of those scenes, like for example, the one Ben just referenced. They take place in this palace, and and they talk about uh, uh, at some point in the novel, Zach talks about sort of going to get get this guy and whatever, whatever. And for whatever reason, my brain I I read that as talking about Saddam Hussein. Yes, yeah, in, and they uh, say cut, in plot, cut the place in uh, articles I, I read about it, they like explicitly explicitly referenced that it was Saddam Hussein. I think a lot of people made that leap. Wait, okay, I, I thought it was just, I thought it was Uno. Umo that he was looking for. Well, well, it, it, it was it was just like a throwaway line at one point where mm-hmm. like he's like, oh, I want to enlist because we got to go, uh, you know, punish this guy or you know, f- you know, find this this guy, and it was in reference to some foreign actor. Yeah, I'll defer to you just because like it's been a year since I read this book and I was still confused when I read it. Yeah, no. More well, that, date on the stuff than I am. <laughs> that I mean, that's why I'm asking is because, you know it's not clear, right? I think right. so. It's it's yeah. But you also got to be careful because they called him Umo, which I know you'll get to. Um, they called him a sumo wrestler in Vice. I'm like, he doesn't do sumo. Right. Oh, is that right. true? Yeah. 
Yeah, by the Vice article, which was an interview with McCoy, said he does sumo. I remember no. someone sent to me like, "Like he doesn't do sumo this whole book. He's Chinese." Yeah, they, the, 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 that was like one of the whole jokes is that right. he's not a sumo wrestler, but they they do yeah. talk about sumo wrestling, but he that's not yeah yeah. In fact, he's a beautiful, graceful diver who has, uh, you know, an, an, an amazing ability to sort of carry himself like in a way that belies his uh, corpulent nature or his corpulent physiology. <laughs> Which reminded me a bit of uh, like Chris Farley because my boomer brain went there. But I was like, yeah. Chris Farley was like a big guy that could just like move his body in beautiful, funny ways. That Chippendales skit? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Umo could do. Uh, Umo would be great at physical comedy. That's true. <laughs> I guess I don't know. There's not much more. For, like, there's a lot of like uh, threads that I think we should tease out in actual conversation. But for just like broad strokes plot, like uh, Zach goes to this war. Yeah, they, there's the the pivotal scene is this uh, palace scene where he's photographing stuff and there's an explosion and uh, he receives a piece of this. Uh, this sort of ancient artifact that is presumably in this kind of like world the cause somewhat of of the conflict or just like yeah like it's or at least a, a leg of the conflict because it's like some some like lost scroll from the bible or something like that right I, the, I, yeah I, I actually like th- this was the part of the plot that jumped out to me is that you know it's My it's fave. zach and sort of Umo, maybe in in ways that are never teased out explicitly, are sort of instrumental somehow in the United States government gaining kind of access to what is essentially the modern day equivalent of something like the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Like, and 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 the way that I read it is that these are um, essentially like lost gospels, but they are. Uh, sort of contemporaneous interviews with Jesus, with Jesus himself, right? Yeah. Done by like some some sort of obscure like Roman uh, 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 politician's nephew or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly. And 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 what is uh, motivating about these lost gospels, these lost scrolls? Because of course the actual gospels, right, were written hundreds of years after Jesus's death. And so yeah. these these gospels in the text are valuable because they're contemporaneous, right? This is su- supposedly Jesus's own words transcribed in essentially a, a sort of interview format. And what comes? Oh, okay. I I, I could yeah. be misremembering again. There's a lot of like throwaway lines that maybe just stuck in in my mind in ways that maybe are are, are less relevant than uh, than they are for other people. But but the takeaway is that Jesus is essentially a sort of like free market libertarian, right? From the contact from the content yeah. of these these scrolls. And so the United States government is very motivated to find them as, as a sort of um uh, uh, uh justification of western free market capitalism. And Umo and Zach are kind of wrapped up in this conspiracy to obtain the scrolls uh in 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 ways that they don't really understand. Um and I think it's also interesting, and maybe I'll just I'll shut up after this, but I, I don't it's not clear to me in the text, and I think this is really interesting, whether or not the scrolls are even real, or if they're sort of a uh plant or or a sort of psyop, if you will, of the United States government to sort of post hoc justify the war and then also to be used for political purposes. Yeah, and I could jump in here like um 
for the people who haven't read this, like the scene with the um, explosion from the palace, it's like the pivotal scene because like the first half of the novel is really kind of straightforward as a novel in a lot of regards, except for the time skipping. But after that, it's just like all that conspiracy stuff that Gabe talked about, and it, it can get so overwhelming so quickly. But like you said, you don't know what's real, you don't know what's not real, and McElroy never gives you an explicit answer. And I think like kind of like the Stonehenge analogy, that's the point of it. But like uh, the second half of this novel, I struggled with so much, and it was one of those things like I have to reread this because there's so much that went over my head. Well, that explosion scene fake. is probably my favorite. You think they're fake? Yeah, keep going. It was my favorite scene, fake. probably. I thought it was just like really? such an interesting moment to happen. Just like he sees his friend on a diving board in Iraq. He's just like, what the fuck? And then there's this huge explosion. Well, and I think just, I just, just like, to get into the particularities of that scene a little bit and then, and then Paul would like f- finish, but like th- that scene. So like uh, Zach's initial meeting with Umo is at like a public pool. Right. And he sees him do this dive off the diving board. And just, it's like, everyone's yelling at him. Get the, get off dude. You're fat. Like, why are you on the diving board? But he does this amazing, graceful dive that produces like no splash, and then he kind of sees him at the in this moment in Iraq on this internal like indoor swimming pool in in uh, Saddam Hussein's palace potentially, and and this alludes to the title of the book, right? He jumps off the diving board, and and the way that I read it, or at least in my mind, essentially as soon as he hits the water, some type of explosion goes off. Yeah. Right. And it's not clear whether he caused it or he was like involved in it or if it was just a sort of like IED or some sort of, you know, outside attack. We have no idea. But yeah, I I agree. I think that's one of the most kind of interesting scenes, Paul. That's the scene I had to like use the Wikipedia on because I was just so confused because I thought there was a flashback because then it kind of interlocks with the scene where he's talking to that priest after the explosion the priest who comes out of nowhere and just like, I have these scrolls, take them. <laughs> it's like, what's happening right now? Very, yeah, RPG style, like, just sort of like, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> a quest giver. It's, a, it's the but first like, isekai uh, postmodernism. I mean, I struggled with it, too. I struggled with, like, this whole book, for sure. But I, I like the, kind of like the echoes of memory and just, like, it kind of played with what you believe to be is what was real and what was, what, like, could this be happening in the past? Like, it confused me in a good way. But yeah. just, to, I don't know, just to have, like, Zach's life kind of go upside down in a totally strange way as seeing, like, his friend jump off the diving board like he did years ago or potentially, you know, years ago and then explode. I was just like, what the fuck? What am I Maybe reading? Maybe, like, if you guys, like, reconnect with Gabe, it's like, oh, he's Gabe's in the back of New York and he just explodes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might, I might do to it him for five years. <laughs> Be a good drink. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because this pivotal moment in the it, which is you know almost in the physical center of the book, it it occurs right in the middle. It's such a tonal shift in kind of what happens because, like you said earlier, Ben, the first half of the book is kind of these, um, you know ordinary kind of reminiscences about childhood and there's stuff about Zach's sister and his father and him being on the swim team. And there are, there are a few kind of like, uh, uh, menacing like allusions to what's to come. There's a, a, an overheard conversation with Zach's father on the phone. Uh, that, that is, I, I believe with storm Noseworthy, who's basically the, 
the the cigarette smoking man from the X Files, like the yes. the equivalent yes. uh, in this the novel. G-Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so there are some hints of what's to come, but the first half of the book is is you know sort of um, I don't know. It's 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 more kind of like flowy reminiscences of childhood and his sister and all that. And then the second half of the book, after the after the titular cannonball, launches into this like wild conspiracy arc. Which is very, very different than what came before it. It like turns into like Foucault's Benjamin in a way, just out of nowhere. It's like it's all just conspiracy stuff, and like conspiracy stuff that's not even like based in the real world, but it's all internal. It's all self-referential in the novel. So like they're trying to figure out stuff, but just like us, there's nothing we have to latch on to the real world. So we're just as confused as the main characters. This is my uh, actual gripe with the book, is <laughs> that. Uh... When he veers into this territory... Spoiler alert. We're only 35 minutes in here, Marl. Don't tell me a time, okay? Time is immaterial. Don't tell, me, to... don't tell me a time. <laughs> hey, like like Mackwood, you go back and forth. Like, True. Yeah. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. Don't ground me in some arbitrary number that I don't understand. Yeah. Let's, talk about, let's talk about denim again. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You boil it. Yeah, you're let's really go back to it. denim. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shoutouts to who's that Ben? Maybe you know this guy. Who's the Instagram book guy that's really into denim and jeans? Oh my god, yeah. Do you know him? Motherfucker, is it is it, sp- is it spare words? I think it might be spare words. Dude is always just he's got jeans in his bathtub. He's just like stirring with a stick. Yeah, like, I love yeah. Denim. <laughs> let, me, let, let me let me block this guy really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's spare words on Instagram, dude. The dude is a denim junkie. So yeah. hey. If you want to come on the podcast and correct us about denim, please. He must be so mad right now. He's like, everything's wrong. <laughs> I just yeah, know I it's love called Spine Crackers until just this moment. I'm unsubscribing. Here, I'll win them back. It's true. The the sort of creases around your crotch area are called whiskering in the denim community, and uh, the sort of crinkle behind your knee is called honeycombing. I know that from a room. Damn. Okay. That's uh. Oh, that's. Niche denim knowledge. I know this guy. He's he's commented on my own wounded men review. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, he's around. Yeah, we don't follow each other. He's a mensch, I think. Oh uh, yeah, blocked, blocked. My my only point though, right, was just uh, that I think, at least for me, in this isolated sort of event of this book, and this is why I wanted to know a little bit about like McElroy's style across. Mm-hmm his what nine or ten novels is like um once he get in once he gets into the pension style territory <clears throat> in my opinion the the sort of like uh psychological naturalism um in my opinion kind of started to do a disservice to to the story like what do you mean by psychological naturalism exactly like all the stuff you're talking about, like the sort of phenomenological sort of uh, uh, attempt to, to recreate uh, the experience of consciousness and oh, like God. memory yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then like and then you get into the nitty gritty of a conspiracy and uh, and 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 that's where the novel kind of lost me, not fully, but just I, I, I started to think like. This seems. This feels more like a hindrance than uh, than something that is like a. Uh, I don't know. R- roping me in and 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 making me feel like I'm in an experience that like is representative of something true or. I, or... 
let me say that I can agree. I can agree with that criticism. Um, this is probably the book where all that, all that, where you talk the natural like, psychology thing, whatever you said, is a lot more separated from the rest of the plot. It's usually a lot more integrated and more based on memory and personal people's personal experiences. Mm. But yeah, this is definitely one where it's just a lot more um, segmented like that. Yeah, I, I, I guess to to that point, Matt. You know, I think that like right. So, and I don't want to I don't want to overstate or kind of oversell the pension comparison just because he talks about conspiracy theories or whatever. Like, I think there's distinctions to be made there as well. But in the sense of uh, just the writing style, which I think we probably need to talk about a lot more. Um, you know, McElroy seems to be concerned with capturing whether it's in in memory or uh in sort of like the actual kind of like flow of experiences i wouldn't call it stream of consciousness per se right but it's it's concerned with as you say a sort of like phenomenological realism right about this is kind of the way this thought would naturally occur in a thinking mind uh with all of the kind of interruptions and breaks and kind of like non non-linear uh, uh baggage that comes with the way that we just think and experience the world right and so in that sense i think it's it's attempting to capture a certain type of <coughs> excuse me what i would call like you said realism or naturalism or something like that um but you know and i think this gets to a little bit what ben was kind of suggesting a second ago which is that if you're gonna do that uh, and sort of be in a character's mind that way, it helps if the characters are interesting. And I, I, I didn't feel that so much with a number of these, with, with Zach, right? The narrator. Um, it, 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 the, the phenomenological richness was there linguistically and it felt real in terms of this is the way our brains work. This is the way kind of thoughts occur to us and they're interrupted and they're, and they're, messy and whatever and memory kind of like interjects into our day-to-day experiences and all that but i i I wondered if there wasn't some 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 richness lost in terms of like okay like i'm in someone's mind but do i care to be there i guess if that makes sense or um you know that's an interesting point you bring up about macworld that can be seen as a criticism uh, even though I haven't heard it that much, because a lot of his characters, especially the main characters, they're all kind of the same. Um, I, I again, like I know what you mean. Like Macquarie's another Murakami <laughs> comparison. Shout out to Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I regret. Like I regret like, bringing up that beef. Oh, it's not a beef. It's, it's not a beef, man. You're just wrong. But anyway, um. <laughs> no. Now it's a beef. Now it's a. Sh- now, now it's, it's officially a beef, beef in a sh- in a shepherd's spot, uh, shepherd's pie, right? I now. just made fucking Bite. pulled pork today, dude. That's some pulled pork bark skin. <laughs> Again, go on, those are jokes. I say I'm Jewish, and now you're talking about pork and everything. No, I'm not that. I'm not really. It's born out of maliciousness, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but no, it's like his character is like, it's almost like a RPG character, but there's not a lot of stuff attached to them, so you can like insert it. But they do have a long established history. Um, like in Lookout Cartridge, you barely know anything about the main character, but he's so pivotal in these people's lives, and that's a book where it, it's I don't know how he does it, but it works well. But 
and like women and men like it's called women and men but my criticism novel should have just been called man because it focuses on the main character jim main <laughs> and right. jim main was like a wooden block with a face painted on him so like the whole novel <laughs> on him and it's like the thing it, it says what you like you what you want from the book where it's like you keep you go through the process of thought but it's related to this character and all the, his interactions and it just keeps going through the same thing to focus on him but if you don't care about like jim main like i did it's like oh my god just get on with it so it and a lot of his main protagonists are like that so in, a, in some books it looks really well like actors in the house um lookout characters it, it, it it's amazing and it, it's fantastic but like in stuff like women and men it doesn't work it, it was fine for me in this novel i think it was a easier to attach myself because it's in southern california it's she's talking about a generation that i grew up in it's talking about my hometown and they're a little right bit. so it was, it was just so much it's like a it's like a protagonist in RPG like Link from Legend of Zelda. It was so easy for me to attach myself to that. Well, and I but think like, not not I think like you said in your video, Ben. Like he does capture he he is able to capture the vibe of like a a, a place right and the people who live there right. Like yeah. I I definitely got that from the novel in terms of like Southern California culture and kind of like even down to the way they speak in some cases. Yeah. So and like. Like with women and men, like a lot of it focuses on like New York and like the same with lookout cartridge. So like it's one of those things where if you can vibe to the setting and whatnot, you probably vibe to the main character a bit more. But if you're not feeling that connection to it, so that's what I'm trying to say. It's a valid, along with saying it's a valid criticism, I can see how there can be that real disconnect because I vibe with that because he has my background. But if he doesn't have your background, I can see like, dude, there's nothing to this kid. He just likes photography. My 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 point is not though that like. Oh. Uh, Zach is some sort of skeletal imago that I just sort of like cathect my experience on and I was not c- capable of doing that as well in this round. My my problem is that and I is that the the richness of like cr- like mapping psychological topography and like experiencing all of these like interjections of memory and all this stuff in in the context of what I regard and I'll, this is the last time I'll bring up Pinchton as like a sort of as not that he's like you know he's not speak the for yourself and the grand master of, of of conspiracy but like when pynchon goes into his particular what quote-unquote difficult you know sort of stylistic quirks it's about um it's about forcing you to deal with the ways in which he regards sort of like whatever the deep state or like extra you know uh, legal or, or, or the ways in which people act outside to manipulate you. Like the, the reason his writing is kind of opaque and obscure is because uh, he's trying to get you to like read the patterns that and riddles that he's writing so that to allow you to then like theoretically be able to like see how one could be manipulated. And like, that's the point versus like just creating a verisimilitude of like one's experience of being manipulated. I, I can agree with what you're saying. I, I've also really quick, I've read all of Pinchin as well. So um Damn, that's I'm okay, gonna, I have not. Yeah. <laughs> Chad. Chad energy. Yeah. No, Fuck not you, dude. You're not smarter than me, dude. You're not smarter you're than me. You're fucking not smarter than me, dude. <laughs> this podcast how this po- this is cancelled. How dare you come on here and cuck us on our yeah. own podcast? <laughs> well listen, man, I, I'm not trying to be overt with it, but just like um a lot of what Matt was saying, it's like that subtle manipulation I'm trying to do right now. But um <laughs> <laughs> but um but no like but i, I agree with you because i kind of like what i said earlier the, like not saying the iraq war wasn't real but um the whole thing about the scrolls it's like something that mm-hmm. mcavoy just kind of made up on itself 
well, with Pynchon, he, a lot of these conspiracies that he gets to, like, yeah, some of them, like, Interplex are made up, but a lot of them are, like, tied in with the real world as well. So, yes. and, like, in a lot of ways, you kind of just, it's like, oh, but he made this part up. But if you look at fake news and you look at fake information, kind of like with Umberto Echo, who also read all of, but, um, like, you realize, like, hey, had to get it in. Me- <laughs> I, after, you, after you made that comment, I'm like, I was going to drop this one. But, um, <laughs> but, like, but, like, you know, after, after, after you, and you kind of look at stuff and you look at all the fake information that proliferates, like, these real world facilities and real world organizations, and it's like, wait, this is not real. But, like, and that's why it works with pension because he's trying to get at that fact, and then you can look at the larger systems. Well, with Macor, mm-hmm. it's so self referential, it's like, there's nothing to compare it to. There's, there's no, Dead Sea Scroll conspiracy in real life, so it's all the cognitive process, but you can't map it onto anything in the real world. So I can totally understand that criticism that you're bringing up. It it, it did. I mean, a little yeah, bit ahead, of. Paul. I was just gonna say, like, to bring up your political point earlier, Gabe, um, about like the government, the U.S. government, kind of like. I never talk about politics. Potentially, <laughs> potentially, like manufacturing the idea of the scrolls. Like I, I was thinking of like a maybe I lashed onto this metaphor in my head a little too hard, but I was thinking like, is this a metaphor for WMDs, like directly? I, or think, not, that's not directly a, I think that's actually but... really interesting. I'm so at I, I mean, right now. what? I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, weapon uh, like we- the weapon of mass destruction weapons. like narrative. Oh, yeah, I think okay, you're. My bad. But yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. I think you're actually um, dead on, Paul, because. What they call the scrolls is weapons of mass instruction. Oh, oh yeah, okay. they do. <laughs> yeah, so like I think you're actually. I like, totally exactly forgot that right. line. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, they're just using this uh, sort of interesting replacement for that rationale, which is why yeah. I think it's the cause of the war a bit too. In a manual. Yeah, and I think sense. it's like a, it's a good metaphor too because like I think that um. Not to get even more political, but like the the right wing portion of our country is hyper religious, obviously, or that's like a part of the thinking. So to ha- to to have the metaphor be a, like a form of a religious text, I thought was like a strong strong metaphor. Well, here's an example I like to give. If you don't want to get like too political in current events. No, we um, love it. No, we do. <laughs> we actually love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll use this anyway. But um, like when. The Spanish went to the Aztecs to like conquer them and everything. Um, you know, a big reason for them to do that is because they believed that um, you know the Messiah was going to be born in in Mexico, uh, well pre Mexico, and that's why they sent twelve Franciscan apostles to the, to the Aztec the Aztecs when they conquered them, and also the Aztecs in turn um, let the Spanish in because they they um, thought that the priests looked like the Messiah quetzalcoatl. Now. I don't believe in any religious stuff, so, like, obviously, like, that's all a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Christ wasn't reborn, Quetzalcoatl wasn't the priest. But, like, it's kind of like the same thing we're getting at, like, you know, these real-world events that happened, it's kind of mythology and, and all this kind of fake information, like, um, that was made for it to justify it. Kind of like, again, like, the, if it's, um, if those scrolls are planted, it's the weapon of mass instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. I hope that, I hope I, that connected. I, no, Definitely. Okay. Cool. Well, I, yeah. I, I think it. I think it. That blends more nicely with um, what I kind of regard as the theme, which is all of this manipulation going on and like this confusion uh, being part and parcel. I don't know of like the experience of Zach, 
Like if if the if the scrolls yeah. were, I mean if the scrolls were genuine, it could still work. But like I feel like it makes more sense, especially with the WMD literal. I think one to one comparison that it was. Was that in light of 2013? Because this is when this book was published. Would like McElroy have known that that was kind of under question? I guess it was always under question, but like what was under question? the whole like the narrative of the WMDs as like a yeah. I think for going that, that would have been known by that time. I think yeah. so. Yeah. But I think you're right. Because that was all like early, like pre 2010 stuff, right? Like yeah, that was like 2006. Yeah, when was Mr. Show out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> when did he turn down fifty million dollars? Uh... <laughs> and then current events. When did he get forty two point three million dollars for stand up right, special? He, right. <laughs> he recouped it fifteen years later, or whatever. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so. I don't know what my point is there. Just, just more like I, I think it has more to do with um, if it were concocted, and you you get these references to like the speechwriter that um, Zach's dad knows and whatnot, and like I think even like parallels to Zach's own life and his relationship to his sister within the text of the scrolls a little bit. Mm. Um, that there was hints that like some of the scroll, the wording and and messages within the the scrolls are uh, derived from. Zach's father's observations of his children. Oh, the, I actually did not make that connection. That's interesting. I think that rings a bell, but I was so confused by that point that nothing connected for me. <laughs> That's all right. This yeah. fucking shit was so hard, dude. I'm well, I, mean, I think actually... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Are you sure? I just want to yeah. make a quick point. Um, I think you bring up a good point, though, Matt, when you say, like, I don't know but how that connects or something, but, like, because it's, like, I think with Pynchon he kind of makes the point that there's more of a direct influence, but at the same time, the system takes over itself. Well, McElroy yeah. might be more closer to like how real world misinformation handles where things just become so obfuscated. You can't tell who started it from who's being influenced by it and everything like that. Sort of like the yeah. game telephone. The new telephone. <laughs> yeah, kind <laughs> Tele- of, kind of. <laughs> a conspiracy is like the game telephone. But sometimes people oh. plan the game telephone oh, the game to be tele- played yeah. and then they yeah. observe the game telephone being played. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's they, true. They get influenced by it. Convolution. Right. <laughs> oh I did want to... I think we should... We haven't really talked directly about the writing style yet, I don't think. Okay, well, b- before we get into that, I just want to make one more one more connection in terms of the, the, the sort of um, immateriality or, or, you know, potential unreality of the scrolls and the whole kind of uh, 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 conceit of the war in the first place, right? Because... Reading through this, one of the other kind of references, thinking about McElroy as a kind of like a postmodern writer, uh, which he's often lumped in with, I was thinking about, um, there's, a, there's a book by Jean Baudrillard, who's a, a very kind of uh, infamous, in some ways, postmodern philosopher. The Matrix. The Matrix, yes, exactly, right. <laughs> Famously cited by the, the Wachowski sisters uh, as an influence on the, on the Matrix, right? And... Um, he wrote a book. Yeah, they're both trans women, right? Oh, I know one of them trans. I didn't hear the other one. I think yeah, they, yeah, both they both are. are. They yeah. both are. Yeah. yeah okay. They both are. Uh, but he wrote a book called, he wrote a book in the early oh, 90s, I think, called The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. And it's about the way that the, the, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, was sort of dematerialized and made into this uh, yeah, kind of yeah. un- 
unintelligible fiction by media portrayals in the West of, you know, clips of, you know, celebrations and sort of like these weird clips that you would see of... of Gabe? Yes. If, if you're going to go into Holocaust and I will leave this part. I swear, no, I'm... <laughs> you saw right through it. You don't let the other things get you. Like, oh, it's like the yeah. media and everything. And oh, God. The media and <laughs> it's such big a number. Like, it doesn't I, make sense. I, yeah. I, I swear that is not... That, that's not the point of the book. It's, it's, here's here's a hot take. Did it actually? <laughs> here's a hot take. Did it actually happen or not? Conspiracies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. No, go on, man. Sorry. No, 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 no. That shit was funny. But you know, it's a work of media analysis, basically, right? About about the way in which media portrayals of war and violence distance us as the viewers of that violence from the realities of it, right? In in the sense that, like, yeah, you can see a bombing happen on CNN or whatever, but under, under the guise of, like, oh, here's the reality of what's happening, but it actually ideologically functions as a way to separate you and make you feel a sort of um, a moral distance from what's actually going on. Uh, and I and, and I and, and I think that this connects in a way with the sort of theme of photography in the book, right? Where where Zach is is a photographer, or he's interested in photography, and uh, you know his father sort of critiques his photographic style, and and there's this tension there as well. But I think I, I, I guess I just think it's you know philosophically relevant that Zach's experience of this war is in a, it, it comes in a lot of ways from behind a lens. Let me ask you a question, because I don't remember. When he was when he saw Umo in the diving board at Saddam's palace, was he taking pictures? Yes. Because it did... Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys read this sooner, um, sooner than I have. There kind of seemed like to be a disconnect between him seeing his friend... And the emotion that he probably should have felt at that time. Yes. I, I think so, they're... Yeah, go so ahead. Yeah. That would kind of go really in line with what you're saying. It's like him seeing his friend that he's been searching for for years and not even sure if he's alive and he sees him on this board, you think he'd be a lot more later and more, more emotional. But the disconnect, you know, he was taking pictures at the time, which relates to what you're saying exactly. And I, and I think if I'm remembering that scene correctly... Uh, his first reaction is to try to reach for his camera in order to capture it on film and he doesn't get to it in time right before before the actual explosion happens and i and and i think that that speaks to your point ben which is you know about sort of like he theoretically should be having this, this sort of visceral emotional reaction this is someone i've literally been like asking everyone i meet have you seen uh have you seen this this guy and like da 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 da, da. and he sees him finally and his first instinct is to reach for his camera, to reach for a sort of obscuring uh, right. uh, lens to view the situation. Right, and there was a thing I read in I didn't like it so much in college, but it's kind of relevant where it's like you go places and you think so much of the picture you're taking and how you're going to show it to other people that you don't really think about um, the experience in front of you as yes. it is. Yes. And, and to go back to that media thing you were talking about, that was true with the Vietnam War where um, – there was kind of a disconnect. All the protests didn't really start happening with the citizens until they started filming it. So that was an example where it kind of worked in reverse. But there's also that... Yeah. Thing, but, like, I think they aired this, the, that one famous image of the guy getting shot in the head execution style on TV, if yep. I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. But, like, 
it, but like you know we've sanitized those images now so like yeah when you see a bombing like the mother of all bombs you just see this big ass bomb in a field you don't see the casualties at the end of it. you don't see who's dying so you're so disconnected from that so i agree with you where the and i don't mean to be like an anti-media thing or anything but it's like not showing the violence and things really does make that disconnect yes from it. yeah i was yeah i think that's a better idea of what was happening than the the idea i had in my head i think my idea was mostly that he was so indoctrinated in his like militarized thinking even at the point where he sees his old best friend that he was just like oh this is my job in the military so i have to take a picture of him um but i like your explanation a little bit better well but i did want to bring but, up but, but just those, an those work in oh, tandem sorry. though I th- no I, I was just gonna say i think those two oh yeah those two thoughts can work together right like yeah and ben i think it's interesting because like you're right like we didn't really as a country we didn't really know like what was happening in vietnam until we saw those pictures and to put your yourself in the in the head of a photographer they probably have to like lose a bit of their humanity in order to keep going and be like i need to take the best picture possible of some sort of horror and like lose myself a bit so that i can show the rest of the world what is happening look at team z yes (laughs) (laughs) or you know The the other critique of photography, the old school one, of like the aestheticization of anything being photographed, uh, sort of as a cope for the violence, even if you're taking photos of horrific violence. Like I think the thing about Zach is that like um, he was taking pictures that were regarded as too like not happy. Like he was literally he's literally right. Uh, he's, he, got, he was a bummer. He got the job as a cushy little gig within the war, presumably by string pulling from his father, mm-hmm. who was like, okay, like put my son in at least one of the less dangerous <laughs> like career paths for his like dumb amateur <laughs> photography that he barely, he was like a sports psychologist he thought he was going to be. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like he, he has so many weird like interests and he ends up taking photographs that are still, they're like, yeah, it's not doing the propaganda thing. Uh, well, there's that whole forget, yeah, sorry. Well, you forget that, like, also, like, I think it's important, like, why Umo and him both decided to join. Because, like, I think Umo represents well, a little bit, like, the future. Well, Umo doesn't actually ever join the military, right? He tries to, and then he's denied, and then he, I think, importantly, winds up there as part of, like, a documentary film team. Right, which is another layer of mediation of, like... Yeah. What music are the soldiers listening to on the front? You know what I mean? Oh, right. That was his preoccupation. Yes. Did you guys ever see that Michael Moore documentary about the Afghan war? Because one criticism was like, oh, look, they listen to metal music while shooting people in the tanks and everything. So Mm -hmm. that did relate to like a real world thing. Yes. Now, let me ask you guys a question for because I don't remember if I don't remember that part either. But did they ever explicitly state Zach's purpose? Because I don't remember him really taking any like battlefield scenes or anything like that. No, there, there uh, there's a number of references to, like, specific pictures that he takes. Like, the one that sticks out to me is um, there's that chapter where, and I, you mentioned this in your video about the book, Ben, where the events are uh, related but in reverse order, and it's like a countdown. There's the, like, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, or whatever. I don't think it's in reverse order. I think just out of order. Yes, right, yeah. Maybe yeah. not directly reverse, but, but out of order. And um, his driver, who's bringing him to the palace, you know, she mentions this picture that he took of two guys, like, playing cards at a table or something. And then there's a, a, 
you know, this sort of discussion that comes up a few times and it gradually is revealed that like there was someone like chained underneath the table in some sort of like, you know, like, like, like slavish way or something. Right. And then that was, that's kind of like gradually edited out, edited out of the photograph. Mm. I forget, I, that part, it's been a while. That I could be making that up. I, I don't think I'm no, making no, that up, but maybe I am. No, I'm, I'm, you're no, right. I'm, when, I say, when I say I don't remember something, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying I'm, I'm going to defer to you on that one because you, you, <laughs> you read this more recently than I have. And I'll those, second that. There's a lot that. of parts he, I just didn't understand. Huh? I'll second, well, I'll second. Parts, I, I think he's right. I think that goes for all yeah, of us, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like to to go back to the question or with with the question of like why did Zach join, It does, it adds confusion when – his dad is potentially trying to pull the spring, the strings about where he ends up in the military. Um, like it, it almost seemed like if your dad's trying to pull the strings about where you end up, it almost seems like that would happen in the Vietnam war when you're, when you were drafted and you have like a rich dad. But yes, I mean, I had, I had the initial impression that Zach joined because he really wanted to. So if he really wanted to, why would he, why would he, have the strings pulled by his dad and end up as a photographer. That's the question. It, it, right. It added so it, much like weird confusion. I was like, I just don't get this. It, it could be a thing also <laughs> where his dad is that controlling, even though he wanted to join, he still wanted him a cushy job as well. That could be it. Yeah. Well, and there, there's all these weird, uh, kind of, uh, uh, like, like throwaway lines in the first half of the book where, it's almost seems like it's and, and maybe this is me being uh, uh, conspiratorial, even within the context of the text, like overly conspir- overly conspiratorial or whatever. But um, literally the first time Zach meets Umo at the pool, Umo, as he's kind of looking over his shoulder after his dive, says to Zach, we need you. And Zach's father talks a lot about how Umo is going to be useful in some abstract kind of un, undefined way. And so it makes you wonder if like the whole scene at the pool and Zach being at that specific place at that specific moment and Umo being there at that specific moment is all somehow orchestrated. And just to, um, just for the listeners, like when you're talking about the pool scene, you're not talking about the sub- Dawn pilots, you're talking about like, kind of like early high school pre-high school pool scene where they yes doing, uh, yes pool. yes yeah. yeah so there there are two uh pool scenes that that matter to the narrative also, really quickly mcavoy talks about diving in almost every novel is that true it's in like every he talks that's that's interesting driving like almost like it's an actress in the house and like he goes into detail i don't know why he hasn't just done a book about diving at this point but yeah incest and diving baby that's all you need. That's a, that's a, we're gonna we're we're riffing on our boy Cliff. Uh, he says sex and death are the only two things worth writing about. I say insects, incest and diving. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but 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 yeah, right. Like I think that uh, you know it's interesting that, and this is another kind of maybe you know digression of a connection. But at, because I'm reading Infinite Jest now as well, and McElroy and, and Wallace are sort of these postmodern, difficult, blah, 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 blah. Right. One of the other preoccupations of, of Infinite Jest is also this sort of domineering father uh, mentoring a, 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 sport, a promising young sports person. Uh, in that book, it's tennis, right? Uh, but in this book, it's diving. And so I, 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 like, I wonder what the, what the Wall- significance... Wallace, Wallace did read Mac where he hated women and men, but after you kind of read Infinite Jest and you read... Um... Okay, so bear with me. I am not a David Foster Wallace fan at all, so I really did not like the game. 
his writing. Go off, uh, go off. Have you have you go read Infinite Jest? I have, and it was dumb. Um, <laughs> it's like you heard it here first. You heard it here first on the Spycrackers podcast. Take take a. Really I haven't nice read it drink. yet. So. Take a really nice drink, pour like half of it out, and just fill the rest with like tap water, and that's what Infinite Jest is. Um, Damn. So so, but like you that's know, but, spicy. Yum. Yeah, but he takes a lot from McAvoy. I mean, like a lot, a lot of key. And it's not just a thing like, okay, this I can see the influence, but he takes a lot of key plot, plot points and everything. So, um, like, like a, trying to find this mysterious film that's in Lookout Cartridge, the Dominating Father thing. Yeah, I mean, that could be like any book, but you can see a lot of similarities between the two. Well, and the the sports thing specifically feels very relevant because McElroy writes very elegantly about you know there's a scene where uh, Zach is doing it's like a flashback scene. But he's doing backstrokes in the pool and he's looking up at the ceiling. Yeah. Do you do, you, do y'all remember that scene? Kinda. Yep. No. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I was lost in that moment, which I was That's multiple times. Yeah. To- totally reasonable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't I didn't have a point other than to say that th- th- <laughs> that this is also something that McElroy writes seriously and and elegantly about, right? These sorts of mental experiences of trying to reach kind of like physical heights in a, in a very specifically defined, you know, sports context. Right. Uh, I, I do want to mention something quick on the pool and like kind of sidetrack. Maybe Paul can comment on this too, but it's interesting because Zach has a girlfriend at that scene and Paul definitely cannot comment on that. I oh, cannot no, relate to already. <laughs> he's going to be able to because he has a girlfriend, but then he still develops that relationship with his sister later on in the book. And <laughs> <laughs> are you making fun of me? Yeah, we're making oh. fun of you for having a sister. <laughs> no, <laughs> disgusting. I have you two have sisters. Which sister are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's right, <laughs> the hot one. <laughs> 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 Good God, man. I've nothing to get you mad Lay off. Doing this for. <laughs> no, but um, my point is that it's interesting that he has relations with other women, and there's really no, aside from a dominating father, there's no other um, like trauma in their life, but he develops this very um, harmonious relationship with his sister that later on in the novel just kind of peters off naturally, and they eventually do get, um, you know, like other, other partners, and like how he just kind of goes to his room, the room at night, well, they, you know, they don't, he doesn't say what they do, but we all know. But, um, he goes to his room and, like, um, fingering. The father, yeah, there's a fingering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and he goes to his, goes to her room and the father catches them. But it's just kind of interesting to see that, like, it's like, no, this guy does have a healthy relationship with other women, but, like, he does have that relationship with his sister. And it's, that's, that's said so much in different McAvoy books. And it's almost like what Delaney talked to me about one time, like, he got called post transgressive, where like Sam- Samuel, know, yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm friends with him. Um, he, oh he, shit! He, yeah, he he liked my review of short rumbling, which is like a great example of post transgressive, where it's um, it's like it's very like messed up and everything, but the characters approach it from a point of like a really loving and consensual relationship, and McCoy really explores that with um ancestral relationships between like especially between brothers and sisters throughout all his novels like like yeah it's a very taboo but it's he addresses from the idea of like post like hey let's get rid of all like the expect all the like um bible clutching over it and like let's actually explore this because if you think about it it probably happens a lot more than people actually like to admit 
Yes, and it's always gross and bad, and you're gross and bad for. <laughs> I mean, I'm not disagreeing okay. with you on that. <laughs> I mean, well, that's yeah. Go ahead, Nob, there's that Nabokov book, Ada and Ar- Ardor, that's, you know, yes. that's that's the pivotal moment, you know, that's sort of the pivotal relationship there. But I also think that, like, uh, em- Emily, or what's her, is it that the sister's name? Yeah, well, well, that that's kind of the whole thing, right, is that she, she, she's kind of fluid in terms of, like, how she's referred to in different contexts, right? It's like M or E or Emily or, you know, whatever. Right, so, but it's like EM, like, she's the E minor chord, or there's, like, E yes. equals MC yeah. squared yes. and all yes. this kind of shit. Like she, she's a, uh, she's a sort of an equation, like a, a variable in an, an, an equation. equation. <laughs> an equation. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in which Umo, I think, plays a part. I, the, the, the sort of more like crass understanding I sort of took away from, from them was that Zach is a, Zach is a sort of um, vanilla, kind of nondescript person caught between the figures of his sister and Umo as, like, literally described, like, because there's a lot of references to, like, spinning your wheels and being sort of caught in Zeno's paradox of the dive, right? Yes. Like, the kind of, like, infinite division of your, you approaching something and the paradox and all that. And then, like, Emily being, uh, always asking what came before. And then Umo is constantly described as talking about what is going to happen, like what's what's coming up, and like these two mm. people being being sort of like two principles or, or, or uh, perspectives, kind of trying to become married within Zach, and and the incestuous thing feels a little bit like just kind of like history's relationship to the past, uh, like self mixing constantly and like. Uh, you know, constantly like enveloping itself within itself, whereas there's this like future, and I, I think it's also significant that the future is like, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone someone considered an, an an illegal immigrant and and foreign to the land, but also he and, could and be implicated in the conspiracy. So I don't know. But that that's also sort of how memory works, right? Like uh, you know, you you have Emily and Umo who who represent these kind of like poles, where the one is concerned with. Uh, I, I think you're really, you know, right to bring this up, Matt, where Emily is constantly bringing up, uh, well, well, what happened just before that, right? Like, that that's a refrain, almost, whenever she's in one of the, a, a scene. And Umo is sort of, in the opposite refrain, like, well, okay, what's going to happen next? And the book is written in a way that neither of those poles really make sense. They're not really operative, because it's all jumbled. I read, I, I read a... Uh, <clears throat> I hate to reference Goodreads, but I did read a, a, a Goodreads review that I thought had had put this well, which is that the events in the book kind of unfold uh, as if they were drawn out of a shuffled deck of cards, right? Like it's yeah. all part of a it's all part of a cohesive thing, but they're drawn out kind of at random. But that, and that's like you said, that's a great memory or like present cognition. When you're trying to figure things out in the present. You always think of what's going to happen next, what happened before, and you know you don't get information in a linear passage. And like also, and I think I like the thing about the what you guys said about Emery um, being kind of like memory and like the past and everything. Because when the relationship does end, it's not like this huge breakup or anything. It's just kind of like this thing that just like okay, well we kind of outgrown this, or it's just kind of time to, like, it's it just kind of like it's time just to move on. And you know, kind of like what you have to do with like old memories and stuff like that. You just gotta move past it at one point as well. And like what you said, like um. Umo being like a great representation of the future, 
because like he's kind of like this not refugee but you know he escapes china and he goes to hawaii he like goes to multiple countries before he even comes to america and you know he's an illegal immigrant just trying to find his um, place in the world and everything but uh, it's kind of like just to go back to current events like that thing was like oh we're losing all the white people in america but you know like with migration and everything everybody's going to become more mixed race later on well and i think that's one of the interesting things about umo's character right is that he it takes uh, you know like a, a third of the novel for anyone to even pin down his actual kind of like place yeah. of birth or whatever, right? Like everyone assumes at the beginning of the novel, everyone kind of assumes he's uh, Latin American or something uh, because he came through the Southern border and then people start sort of assuming he's like Hawaiian or something, but it turns out yeah. he's Chinese or like Mongolian, you well, know? That, that, that happens to me because like um, I'm Jewish Mexican. My dad was Jewish. My mom was Mexican. And like, for whatever reason, people I know I'm a, I'm a I know I'm a white boy, but people have the toughest time pinning me down. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you tell people like I'm Mex like although at high school like, you, like I'm it's like I'm Mexican. Does your mom speak Spanish? Like no. It's like, like no. Do you speak Spanish? No. Is your mom from Mexico? It's like yeah. It's like oh you're not Mexican. Like okay. It's like oh you're Jewish. Like yeah. Is your mom Jewish? No. Oh you're not Jewish. Like okay. I guess I'm just whatever then. So like you know for a lot of um biracial people and mixed people like that you know that that is an experience where people have a very difficult time like pinning them down. So. I, I think that does relate. That's very apt to the novel. And, and it's also interesting thinking. About, okay, so one of the one of our slogans on this podcast is that every book that we read is 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 a sequel to the last book that we read. And uh, the last book that we read was uh, Mosin Hamid's Exit West, and and that book, you know, the the premise exit. of that book, Exit. Oh God, I don't want to talk about this again. <laughs> exit, exit, exit. There West. is a difference. I know Ben thinks that it's all the same. Well, let me put it this way. I had a lot of infections as a kid, so that's probably why I can't speak anyway. So I should not be part of this conversation whatsoever. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dumb hobby horse that we got stuck on for some reason. But... You said horse weird. You said hobby weird, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hobby horse... There you go. <laughs> hobby horse. It's a hobby horse. But but the premise of that book is essentially right that that these portals randomly open around the world and people sort of can walk through them and uh, uh, that re you know replaces the the process of 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 emigration. But I think like you know Umo seems to me to be uh, as a character at least the way he's characterized certainly at the beginning of the book. Of that kind of um, potential future that Hamid was talking about, right? Where, yeah, he's he's bounced around and he's been through South America and and China and and you know there there are long sections of the book where Zach sort of speculates. Getting back to that scene where he's doing the backstroke at the pool and look up at the ceiling, he's kind of envisioning Umo's sort of path a, a, across the world map and like how could this have gone, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, go ahead. And it's Matt. kind of it's well, it's kind of like uh, you know, he's he's kind of um, running the, the the running the gauntlet, and uh, I I thought in a way kind of representing like true meritocracy, <laughs> like because you know uh, a big aspect of the novel is uh, I think like this notion of competition and the hearings that uh, Zach goes to are are this sort of like. Aren't they the competition hearings? They're basically called the competition hearings. Yeah, I believe hearings. they're officially labeled the, the competition hearings or the hearings on competition or something, yeah. And so in some way, Umo is like, uh, 
someone who's who's who who more purely represents I don't know some kind of like actual like salt of the earth like lived experience and like education outside of uh, the system, which makes him. It's so complicated by the fact that I don't know if he's part of the conspiracy, though. I right? know, I was, dude. That's gonna, what gonna, fucks was, me up. I was gonna mention something about that now because if, if that kind of messes it up. If you do see him as like a as a trigger for the explosion, then that kind of goes more on the meritocracy thing as well, where it's just kind of like in this country, meritocracy doesn't really matter because the powers that be might restrict you. If you're an immigrant, you might work hard, but it doesn't lie. So Uma worked hard, did all the stuff. He would still use the trigger as his bomb explosion. But that's again, if you believe in the conspiracy True. or not. Because he's maybe alive by the very end, right? Yeah, we we, we or is it, that a it's, flashback? It, it's well, that's the, that's one of the questions I think is that the we it's never actually confirmed that Umo dies in the explosion. It, it, I like to think it that is, he's, so, he's so good exp- at diving that he like dove into the explosion and just came out with no little explosion <laughs> like he did in the water. You know, you, 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 I know you're memeing right now, but that might be something to that because like. They talk about the underground um, waterways beneath that, and how they the water just kind of flushed out through there. Yeah, so maybe he escaped through that. We, we don't we don't know. Yeah, well, like water like and diving maybe like dove right into the tube and just because yeah. <laughs> that that that's how Zach ultimately <laughs> escapes, right? And this also gets to the well, that's where he finds the squirrels too. He finds them like yeah. yes, the priest right? the priest gives him the little uh, cut out section of the scroll, right? And then yeah. he kind of keeps it as as a, a way to kind of like, you know, check like are these real, right? Like if if the government published versions of these scrolls uh, include this small passage that I was given, then they knew about it ahead of time and they're fake. But if it doesn't include it, then they're authentic, and I have an authentic piece of it. Um, but that but came out of nowhere. That was so confusing. I know. I yeah. We should talk about yeah. that. I, I was hoping. I was hoping you guys had an answer for that because that was the problem just lost. that priest was like how is he at the bottom of this explosion out of nowhere it felt like my, it my felt like is like fake. dungeons and dragons or like <laughs> like bloodborne or something like you're, you're suddenly just like meeting with a guy that's just like in the tunnels <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i, I actually kind of liked <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i have no explanation it was just like he popped Damn up it. it seemed like <laughs> he, lo- he loaded improperly <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's I mean my this is just my predilection personally is like to assume that there's some sort of op going on and that this is like five layers out of an an orchestrated event and uh, things were meant to be this way. See, I saw it as a freak accident to be honest, but again, the second half I was so lost on. But you guys are convincing me the other way. I, I really I gotta reread this book, but but yeah, so like. The more, you, the more I hear you guys talk, the more I'm convinced that, like, it was all part of some sort of plan. Uh, the reason... Like, like, it's such a weird plan, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Also like, what is, plan what is the plan? What is the plan? It goes back to the conspiracy thing, where it's kind of like um, the, the COVID thing. was like, oh, it's a plot by the Democrats. There's a plot by the Democrats to infect the entire world. Isn't there a better way to win an election here? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It, right. it kind of goes to that... It's it's a conspiracy that's so convoluted. That's a good point. Like, oh, everything. I'm just like I'm more convinced hearing you guys. But when you take a step back, like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any damn sense. So that's a, so, that a great point, Paul. Damn. Do we want to take a stab <laughs> of like what we think the conspiracy is? Does anyone want to just sort of wait, wait before and... before we do that? Can I bring up uh, another like sequel thing about yeah. uh, every book? Like, uh, Ben, have you read Correction by Thomas Bernhard? 
Give me one sec. I just took the biggest fart. Oh, no, I haven't. Yes, King. <laughs> I, I um, wish we had the audio. I feel good, man. <laughs> <laughs> like don't, don't do that again. Right. No, do it. We're about the truth. I kind of, I actually kind of wish that if I asked that question, you just farted because that's <laughs> kind of how I thought of, about yeah, that really book, corrected. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that book has uh, similar sister themes, right? It was the last yes. difficult book we read. I would say, like, difficult verbally and liter- okay. literarily. It was very difficult to read. It was like one long. It wasn't. There was no paragraphs in. It was almost one long sentence. Okay. But in that in that book. The main character also has weird feelings for his sister, and I, I had this weird, weird. F- not feeling, but like weird <laughs> thought of just like, what are it's only these weird things? if you it's only weird if you make it weird, man. Yeah, man. I was yeah. just like, what are these weird guys that are like really experimental fiction writers? Why are they writing about incestuous relationships with their sisters? Well, did Delaney you guys? Does it with I his, mean, Delaney does it with his father. Does that make it better? <laughs> yes. It makes it more interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, this is a question, right? Like, 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 like because, 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 you know, on a on a tr- sort of traditional, you know, plot analysis, the whole incest thing, like, like, I think Emily serves a plot function, and Matt laid that out well in terms of the the counterpoint in, between the past and the future with her. And Umo and so on and so forth. Can I say one more thing about Emily? Please. Really, just because I don't know where to, else to insert it, is that her name's Emily, and she keeps quoting, Myself was formed a carpenter by Emily Dickinson, which is a poem that references, like, self-whittling uh, and, like, uh, mm. uh, sort of planar surfaces and uh, the art of boards and like literal references and uh the thing that she keeps saying is my tools took human faces uh, which is so weird because umo and zach are arguably tools with human faces of the conspiracy right right and then, and then the dad keeps saying let your tools do the work for you yes uh i actually got to ask mcavoy a question on this on the incest Whoa. part oh that's right yeah nice. yeah it's on the kaleidoscope um so I asked, like, uh, you know, it's a healthy depiction of normalized relationship between brother and sister. Um, uh, do you mind if I just read it, like, verbatim? I'll try to make it quick. Do it up. Yeah. All right. Um, so the guest question for me depicts a healthy relationship between mentally, you know, brother and sister. Were you seeking an erasure of this taboo or simply exploring this often unexplored side of human sexuality? And Joseph McAvoy, I'll read his comment. Um, I suppose the latter, which... So, like, the unexplored side of human sexuality, which makes use, though, of quite other in, um, incohates energies of my wish that I had that I had, had a sister. Um, so, who has been sure and why? The L- so, he's questioning who I am. Um, <laughs> 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 but the sibling intimacy of which I have observed with suspense and compassion reaches away from the novel's somewhat typical and bleak and vivid American family in San Diego into the strangeness of Iraq war and the healing and experiment and even math and physics that absorbed into the body by the dive in advance connects springboard diving with all plotted desires in the book um and you know to be honest that didn't answer my question for me but maybe you guys <laughs> more stuff out of that because his questions his answers are all like 
It's like, oh, I can see why you write literature like this because you just think like this. So yeah, yeah, that's that, that just adds way more confusion to me. Like springboard <laughs> diving equates to every question you have about the book. Is that yeah. kind of what he said? What? Like, I mean, dude, no, 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 dude. It's very simple. Wanting to fuck your imaginary sister is just physics. Yeah, just watch <laughs> the Olympics. As is reading, according to so, you know. So, why'd you want to show the sister relationship? Well, if related to the Iraq War, like, are they doing this in Iraq? Is that why we went to the Like, <laughs> I kind of love though that we're reading a book and we have like actual answers of questions from a, the actual author. That's a first. That is a first. Podcast. That's pretty awesome. I but it doesn't. It doesn't help at all. But no. If I ever get an interview, I'm going to grill the crap out of him with that one. <laughs> like, yeah, time's a ticking. We got to get some more uh, McElroy interviews. I, I I listened to the bookworm one, and that, and that was like the only real, the real meat and potatoes I could get. No, you're the man, George. No, Joe. <laughs> like, remember when he said that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. He just said it's so weird, and McElroy's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like. Hey. I like. Here's a, here's a thing that just is like apropos of nothing is just McElroy as a speaker in interviews the ones I've heard and him reading. Uh, I like I, he's great. What a nice oh, yeah. man. What a great man. Uh, just like a sweet, smart person, very thoughtful. I don't know. I, it's funny because I was I was reading some uh, Helen Dewitt uh, short stories, some tricks. That's weird. I was thinking of that book we read by her today. Randomly. The Last Samurai? The uh, Last Samurai. I don't think I like her as a person. <laughs> I, I brought this up on the podcast. I watched I know, interviews and I of fi- her and I was like, I don't like you at all. I finally think I yeah. agree with you, Paul. Uh, and and nice. there's a way Eight in which I later. think... <laughs> there's a way in which I think <laughs> that that's like uh, uh, you know, sort of lowbrow and, and not fair. There's a lot of... Uh, onerous and sort of uh, gross people who make great art but like oh yeah at the same time uh there are ways in which it's it's helpful I, to place yeah. the voice to, that to, is creating these things to come back to pension as much as i love pension he's like a he's like the daddy literature figure to me i get the feeling mm-hmm. i would not like that man if i like spoke to him i would love to hear because... even one spoken word from him that's my problem yeah, because the thing is also well, go just watch the Simpsons episode. I know. Yeah, the question yeah. mark bag well, like, over his head. There, yeah, there, there was like a interview. Somebody was talking about like, oh yeah, when when Pynchon was writing Gravity's Rainbow when he was thirty, um, he was hanging out with high schoolers at the same time. Mmm, fun. Okay. Yeah, so it's like, mm, and so like, and then like, I mean, he seems like a cool dude, but then there's like stuff like that I hear about it where it's like, like my dad's like, Pynchon, stop messing with those high schoolers. <laughs> so. <laughs> And then, like, well, somebody yeah. asked him, like, why are you writing Gravity's Rainbow? Like, I just want to make a bunch of money. Which is fine. He made a good novel. But, like, there's, there's, some, inter- there's some parts about Pynchon, like, what a cool guy. And there's some parts of him, like, what a weirdo. And some parts of him, like, mm. <laughs> So. I'm sure. I bet. Yeah. Well, it, 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 yeah. And I think he's relevant to this just because, um. It's yeah, I don't know. It's a thematic level. Yeah. Right, yeah, like uh, because Pynchon loves writing about like military kids that can be and like in Gravity's Rainbow, all basically and everything. So, yeah, I'm still I still kind of stand by my my opinion that like, even if he's just some sort of like CIA apologist for his crimes, uh, working for like you know I don't know, uh, what was it for Gravity's Rainbow like Boeing or something? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, 
living Boeing. in Seattle. Uh, he worked for Boeing for like a few years as a mathematician or something. No, he wrote, he wrote literature for the brochures, I believe. No, he was a mathematician, but he read a lot of the brochures. That was what it was. That's right. That's right. I don't think we've actually read a ton from this book, and I I wanted to read a little chunk. Um, Do it up. This is early. This is like yeah. Gabe, what is Gabe doing? He's just walking around like he picked up a pillow. Gabe just yeah. Gabe's just decided to uh, leave the podcast and go uh, talk to his wife and just live in his house and just forget yep. that he was supposed to have responsibilities. <laughs> uh, this it's is a Doberman. This is... It's a big Doberman dog. Oh yeah, there you Luther. go. He's a Luther sweetheart. Just the <laughs> so, I don't know how much to read of this. I'm just going to try and read a chunk. It's it's um, it has to do with like the sort of like uh, the scrolls and like competition and uh, the usefulness of the scrolls in terms of like reinforcing notions uh, through religion. That uh, yeah, libertarian kind of free market capitalism is is the way to go, and we're like. And we're like uh, on the right track as a country, and we needed this little boost from the man himself, JC. Uh, but it goes, uh, my father had come back from level playing field, which is all in caps, uh, level playing, forward, uh, playing field task force, brainstorming about the future of no competitor left behind competition. <laughs> At a retreat- Such a funny line. So, yeah, it's no competitor left behind competition at a retreat in Fort Meade, Maryland, which is, you know, a uh, where the NSA is. Uh, a welcome had been read from the president to the effect that you have the intelligentsia with you always, but me you won't always have, my mother reported after Dad had come home and left again. Fort Meade, I asked? She thought so. Fort Meade stayed with me until it came to me. As I later did not have to tell my sister, she told me. To me, though, our father betrayed no special acquaintance with what was going on in those days. I betrayed little curiosity. Dad was being consulted. He got wind of things early, it seemed to me, though I was slow to read the papers. His news about capital punishment, that scholars had evidenced Jesus with his sharp-honed plowshare had not consistently opposed it, in fact, appeared a month later in an obscure item Milt pointed out that ran in the Union, supported by a quote, not for attribution from someone well-placed that there was nothing old-fashioned about Old Testament, get-your-own-back grit. Like Christian business, always unfinished, even the everybody, capitalized, wins creed my dad had his doubts about. I, it, it's just a... Uh, yeah. There's a lot there. You know, there's then the implication of, uh, I think, essentially the NSA and the and Fort Meade, which is in Maryland and is a uh, sort of almost Vatican like. <laughs> uh, I forget what it's called. I forget what it's called. It's like. Uh, let me look this up really quick. I mean, I think it's good that we just talked about uh, or you, you just read from the book, though, because. The other night, Gabe, on Zoom, after you hurled, um, Matt... You gotta bring this up. Why you gotta bring this up? How did you hurl? Can I just... I barfed. I barfed. barfed. Doesn't explain anything. Can I just say that this is my favorite phrase? Uh, Fort Meade is is, uh, described as a census-designated place in Maryland. Oh, that... uh... That is so vague. (laughs) Just, like, so vague. 
That's like yeah. Gabe's, that's just like Gabe's answer right now. Like, how did you hurl? I barfed. Dude, listen. Yeah. <laughs> I barfed. I puked. <laughs> I puked. Well, it, 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 listen, I was channeling McElroy responding to your question about incest. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <laughs> it relates back to the bodily functions and how the brain, like, has unconscious like, <laughs> like, directions towards the body. It's like, cool. it, really goes, it really goes into math and biology. It's like, thanks. That's, it, it was physics. It was all physics. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was going to say that after you... I was drunk. Uh, I got too drunk and I threw up. You got too oh, drunk. Man. Very rare. Gabe never hurls. I've only thrown up but, at drunk in my life twice, and that was one of them. I throw up when I'm hungover relatively often. Not not on the regular, but it, much more common than when I throw up when I'm actually drunk. I don't with you there. Good for you, man. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> it just means I have to live life sober. <laughs> yeah. Chad. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers to that. My, my dumb joke is like, oh yeah, man, I, 30 years sober, every day is a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sober since I was two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say that after you went to, after you went to bed, Gabe, uh, Matt and your wife and I, we, we were talking about this book, and, we were, and Morgan actually brought up the point of just like, when you read the book aloud the linguistics of it actually like makes more sense when you hear it. Yes. And um, we, we were talking about like whether or not that was McElroy's intention or if that was just like a byproduct of his writing style. I had a story about this and it pissed me off because like my, I, when I was reading lookout characters, my ex, I was like telling how difficult the book was and she read two lines aloud and it sounded so simple. It made me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, she was like, this isn't hard, you dumb-dumb. Yeah, that's what she said. I'm like, like, get out of my house. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's it's one of those things where, like, on a line-by-line -line level, McElroy is actually pretty simple. Like, if you read Plus, the, the, the wording in there is really simple. But where McElroy becomes difficult is in culmination. Because I, I don't know if you ever read um, John Ashbery, like, um, the surrealist poet. If you read one stanza, like, there's a five-stanza po poem... By the time you get to the fifth stanza, you're like, wait, what the hell was the first stanza about? And that's what happened to me in so many McElroy books. Where like, I get to the end of one page or the other, I'm like, wait, I don't know what's going on. And then I read the first paragraph, and I'm like, wait, no, I did read this part. I was, I was paying attention, because yeah. it's just so much information, it's, it's overload, and you forget what you just read previously. Well, I, I, I think this also gets to, to, to come back full circle to like an hour ago. Matt's point about the kind of like phenomenological naturalism of, of the way McElroy and, 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 and other sort of like postmodern writers tend to write is that like, it, it sounds better when you read it out loud, not better, but, but more clear when yeah. you read it out loud because we insert things uh, just naturally that we assume are there in the written text, right? Things like breaths, and punctuations and and sort of pauses and whatever but that's a very different experience than actually reading it silently on the page right so it is more naturalistic in terms of how we speak and how we think which is why it translates well when it's read aloud but when it's just read word for word on the page it can become very disorienting well I, I coined I think I coined this term when reading difficult books I I end up getting literary epilepsy, um, <laughs> and that's what happened for sure in this book. 
for me. It's just like, like I, I, I read like a hundred pages on Sunday and I was just, I was physically ill. I think it actually made me that's sick. A big, that's a big meal. On Monday. I was just I've had, like, I've had, people, I've had people say like, I can't read more than 10 pages of McAvoy a day. So yeah. I think the most yeah. I've ever read was like 70 pages. And like, I just, I stayed up all night and just read 70 pages. So a hundred is like, yeah, that, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and it nearly killed me. <laughs> but you're here. You're here. I'm here. But there's also, and speaking of realism, you know, just to, again, put a wrinkle of criticism into it, we don't uh, just, you know, watch a character in a movie piss and shit. I wish we a, did. Or have a snack, you know? <laughs> there's a place and time for it, and you can. Uh, but uh, I, I, my comparison was getting sort of... Uh, just finding a, a not a lot of like uh, finding no toehold sometimes, or getting bucked off of a horse or something. Like uh, I was reading, the, I'm re- I'm trying to make it through the language of each page, and uh, and hold on to like what's the subject verb agreement happening here, even or like you know what's the predicate, and then just like losing it, and like that. Uh, that becoming a little bit frustrating, even if it maybe is my own sort of uh, weakness. I, I have some, that. That's a very stylistically um, intentional thing McAvoy does, mm-hmm. because so. Oh yeah. Oh good, Paul. No, I, I disagree. I, oh, I agree with you. Like, I, you say yeah. I was just like yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say like I feel like his writing style is so intentional. It's like very artistic to me. Like he. He's developed like a new way of. I mean, I haven't read Pension, Pension, and other difficult writers that you guys have been talking about. I've been kind of lost, but like, in my mind, he, his way of writing is like so very much his own that it becomes like a like a, a new art form, literarily to me. Well, that's why I put uh, McAvoy on the level of Pension and Joyce because they took something that's so uniquely theirs and just really brought it up to that level of mastery. And also, like, um, what you're talking about because like. And it makes sense if you think about the cognition of... If you relate so much of McAvoy back to the cognition of thought, mm-hmm. things just make so much sense. So, like, in all of his books, he doesn't talk in past tense. I'm sure you noticed in this one. If he goes back to a flashback, it's still in present tense. Yes. That happens in Actors in the House in the first chapter where it's, it's his dead wife. And then later on in the chapter, his wife's alive. I'm like, what the hell? But, you know, it just goes backwards. Mm. You just have to get that. Or, like, there's no character... He doesn't introduce characters at all. The character... The people are already in a relationship. The names are already assumed. So, you know, that's why and a lot of the names are similar. So you go through all these characters, but there's no proper introduction for them because, you know, like they're just, you're just in the midst of the, of the relationship of these characters. And if you think about it, like you said, like in a movie, we don't see people like piss and everything like that. In our lives, when we think of past events, we don't think of past events in the, in the past tense. If you think about memory, you just put yourself in the event of that memory. And you don't introduce yourself unless you're coming out of the spine crackers for the first time. Let's but, go. Yeah, you don't you don't say like, oh, hello, Martel, my friend, like my my friend from that I met after college and everything. Like that. You just, right. and then, oh, like you don't put a, you don't make a memory introduction each time you talk to people. You're just in the midst of that conversation. But even if, like if like you know with the spine um, crackers podcast, like I don't have to know you guys from high school. If I don't know how to watch the first episode. I can just watch the podcast. It takes a little bit of time catching up, but I can get to know each one of your personalities. So that's what McElroy goes for. In the intentions of thought and in the present moment, you don't have those introductions. You don't have those. We don't think in the past tense and everything like that. So 
I can see what you mean getting lost in the footing because he admits those things to, I guess, I don't, I don't want to necessarily realism, but to give that idea of cognition. No, I, I think that's, that's, that's a really, good, that's really good. Yeah. That's I think that's really well put. Assessment. It's, it's sort of like, from you know, the McElroy scholar. I hope it's yes. good. I read so much of them. So. YouTube, YouTube badge. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 you know, it, it, it is, right? Yeah. Like, you know, to, to the question of realism, like, it is very, the way we experience things, as you say, Ben, it, 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 it's constantly, it's like a perpetual, like, in media res, right? Like, where we're, we're always already in, in, in the sort of mess, right? Yeah. In, in the kind of midst of things. And, you know, it gets to the point that you made very early on in the discussion where you were saying you had to kind of parse through that, that, that scene in the middle of Umo diving into the pool and be like, is this a flashback or is this reality? Or is this like sort of not, not reality because flashbacks are, are, are real. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Present, present tense. Yeah. Present yeah. tense. Is it present tense? Exactly. And you know, I, I agree with you and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe Matt will disagree and, maybe this comes down to the ways that we uh, uh, sort of all individually experience our own subjectivity or something like that. But uh, I, I do agree that it's all, you know, when I think about memories or the past or whatever, uh, obviously if I'm expressing that verbally to someone else, I'll use the past tense. But when I'm thinking about the thing that I'm about to express, it is felt more or less in the present tense, right? Yeah. Well, here's a good example. Um, in memory, you never use the word I. Like in your thought process, you almost never use the word I unless you're mad at yourself. <laughs> like, like, I'm so I'm, mad that I threw up uh, the yeah. other night when we were so talking. Like, like, why the hell and I'm so mad that? that Paul brought it up on the podcast. Yeah. But if you're just kind of going through your memories, you don't think of it in that sense. You realize, like, hey, literature... Um, does, isn't reflective of like the real world it's like it's like the movie trick in a, in a sense like we use i so we can give the reader something to grasp onto or we use past tense so the reader can have something to latch onto. but we don't do that in our own life that's something just in literature by itself and just in reality too right like remembering something even if you are using i or referring to yourself is still actually literally in the present tense right right right, right. actually the, actually i take that back the time you would use it as you're trying to convey information to somebody else. Right. For ourselves who already know the information, we don't, we skip all that. We don't, we don't get confused remembering our past or whatnot. Right. We, we only have to situate ourselves in time for someone else. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a perfect way yeah. to put it. That sums it up really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, okay, so the only other, uh, so, some other link I just had, it, it doesn't really connect, but like, well, it kind of does, like all things in McElroy, I guess, that I'm, I'm starting to figure out at this point. Yeah. Uh, is that um, so? Like the scrolls, right? Um, are also partially. Uh, there's this thing called the. There's this uh, thing called the Q source, mm-hmm. in uh, in sort of analysis of the gospels, oh. right? Like the Synoptic Gospels are, like I think Matthew, Mark. Luke, that relates and John. to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Q. Sorry, just had, it's been a few episodes since I mentioned Star Trek, and I feel like I had and to. Q anon. Q source. And that, that relates to. Um, Red Letter Media, who talk about Star Trek all the time. And on Dude, I love Red Letter Media. Same. And, like, that's a YouTube channel. Also, just, like, um, YouTube.com yes. slash Bookshore. And we... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> no thread is too thin. Yeah. No, but Red Letter Media is top tier. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
my only point being that uh, I think that the, the, the scrolls are supposed to be kind of a riff off of this uh, idea of the Q source in the Gospels, which is uh, like that uh, Matthew and Luke were, you know, claimed to have, have been referencing Mark, who was like kind of the first sort of source of translated, you know, messages from Christ. And then a th- and then another thing, just another person or entity, and then it's called the Q source, and that and that's supposed to explain the um, right the uh, why they're called the Synoptic Gospels is like because they all sort of they they have a lot of um, strange similarities despite the fact have of having been written at different times from different people uh, that is used to validate the idea that um, they were only gathered from another as they say in the book, kind of um, mouth-to-ear account from Jesus himself. And so the Q source is like this idea of like another person that uh, had the direct sort of conversational translation from Jesus directly to themselves interpreting it. But that being called the Q source because it's a question and it's called into uh, sort of uh, doubt and uh, that it's it, it's not really um, something that's sort of universally agreed upon, and therefore it's just like this weird limbo, like the book it feels. Well, well, well and of course, right? Like th- you know, thinking about memory and language in general, one of the you know hangups of people who think about this is like, uh, not that something is lost in translation per se. That's a reductive way to put it, but I do think McElroy is thinking about the ways in which memory intersects or overlaps with lived experience in the moment, right? Like, th- there's a lot of um, dialogue between Zach and Umo where there's, like, linguistic kind of uh, 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 weird hooks and Umo finds something funny that Zach says because it doesn't necessarily translate properly and Umo kind of like plays around with pronouncing things differently when he's speaking to Zach. And so I do think that, 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 that this whole question of like, what is the reality that we are expressing when we speak to one another and what is the reality that we remember in our memory as compared to the reality as it was is something that's operative here as well. This, you guys are killing me right now. This is like <laughs> one of the biggest plot points and themes of Lookout Cartridge. In a good way? In the best way. So yes. like, because in Lookout Cartridge, they're looking for this um, film, but you never get an explanation for what the film is. You just see scenes and they, you never, so you never see the film. However, those somewhat multiple iterate, I know what you mean by lost in translation but not quite and i can't comment too much on the q source but you saying it too and that relates where so you're trying to find this film again but which version is correct is it the director who is his notes is that the most um pure version of the film is it the other cameraman who filmed it and edited it is that the more pure version of the film so is it is it in note taking is it editing is it the raw footage by itself or is it the final product yes there's some other ones that i can't remember but it just goes back to that thing which interpretation is the most accurate interpretation of this product? Which I think, which I think, also circles back to the point we were kind of discussing earlier about Zach being a photographer, right? Yeah. Which is sort of like, you know, be, be, because like Matt was saying, you know, his father critiques his photography. He thinks his photography is very bad, 
at the beginning, right? And I think his his father is sort of meant to embody the sort of like um, you know objectivist like photography is just meant to kind of capture reality as it is. But then we get into Zach's mind and his experience, and it's very muddled and messy. And I think that is supposed to be a sort of signal that this is actually how it is, you know, in reality. Like it, rea like reality is messy, memory is messy, photography as a sort of stand-in for those things is also messy and does not capture on a sort of one-to-one -one level truth with a capital T. Correct. And then it comes back to us, like what I was talking about Stonehenge earlier. Then it's on us to go through the process of like figuring out so we can never really get to what the true source is because that's always going to be up for debate but it's but then that's what becomes more more important is that process of figuring it out and going through these resources my okay so i i have a question then basically yeah. which is that and this is my problem this is either my problem or not with the book is like <laughs> <laughs> no i'm okay. sorry that was just funny it's either it's either my problem or it's not or my problem not. Try to be kind to me. If you don't like this book, that's totally fine, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna get mad. No, as of right now, spoiler alert. I guess uh, I, I'm positive, but in the in the in the more uh, sort of conservative sense uh, okay. with 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 this particular book, and it's like so so. Is there is there a narrative? Is there a true narrative to untangle? Or is it all question marks and like postmodern? Like we we don't oh, know and can marks. never know. Because that, that's in, the thing with look. I've asked other people to look at cards. It's more. It's all. It's question marks. In that sense, I don't think I like that applied to this narrative. I don't think I do. To and this that's specific maybe narrative, just me. Like, to this specific that, narrative. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I actually like it compared to this. I mean, I think Matt, that you have gripes with that form, like form of storytelling in general. Is that fair no. to say? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I feel like you don't like open-endedness in general. I do. Okay. I do. I really do. Opinion. Well, so okay, so so then Matt, rearticulate the the question, I guess maybe to to avoid. But know, before before you go, I wanted to say that like, if it if it's metaphorical to the Iraq War and conspiracies in general and conspiracy theories maybe potentially about WMDs we never came to a conclusion about whether or not there were WMDs or not well we did there weren't i mean we did but like we don't totally know do we i mean we had like satellite footage and like photographs and shit but does does that like there clearly prove or, like disprove well i mean I, I i mean i don't know if if you're trying to make a meta sort of historical point maybe the best thing that we can say with confidence is that none were found, right? Yeah, that's basically well, what I'm saying. Well, well, what, what maybe Paul's getting at, too, it's like, kind of like, it's really tough to say definitive answers, even if you're 95% sure, because there's always that 5% chance of error. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank you. True. I guess what I feel like is that this book, uh, and I'm, I'm cool with that even, I, I think what I think is that this book is uh, leaving us at a 50% chance of error. Mm. Still. And and that I don't um, appreciate for for what it is that the book is a uh, it, it feels to me ultimately tackling. 
But I, I, I guess the question that I would... Uh, sorry, Ben, but I, I'll just put this out there and then go. And then go. But yeah. I guess my question would be, you know, what is the question that we are at risk of being in error of in the first place, right? Like, 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 like when, when we talk about error rates and, and whatever, like, oh, we have a 50% chance or a 95% chance about be, of being wrong about something, Right. And I guess yes. my question to you is, what is what is your sense of the something that we okay. might or might not be wrong about here? Does that make sense? Yes, but yeah. Ben, you can go and I'll answer. Okay, so um, again, sorry to keep going back to process. If you don't like this book, that's totally fine. If you go back to process of thought, think about it. The, what, what Paul was talking about, the, the question like the absence of evidence, the evidence of absence, that was a very pivotal time in American history. What Michael might be trying to do um, it, because these characters, they're not past the fact of it, they're doing it. So he's capturing the almost paranoia and the unknown questions that we have during that time. And I think, um, so it can be frustrating that we don't have answers, but when you were living in that moment, we didn't have answers to that until years after the fact. It's it's the classic Cheney line, right? The the uh, known unknowns and the known knowns and, and then, and then the, the Zizek addendum, right? The exactly. unknown knowns, right? Yeah, so he's trying yeah. to capture, like, the, maybe he's trying to capture the American consciousness, like, of the time we don't know, we can't get an answer because that's what informed so many pivotal decisions of policy during that time period. Okay, I, and that that does actually help, you know. I think what you just said, um, like, that being, if that were the case, or if that is the case, um, I'll be, I would be more lenient. I think my my. Oh, my immediate sort of negative reaction, and again, this isn't this isn't a o- overwhelmingly negative reaction. Right, right, I liked right. I liked the book, uh, I actually did. Um, it's just that like when when describing conspiratorial behavior and manipulation, uh, like for whatever reason, for me, the idea that it's just like unreconcilably a big question mark is not helpful and helpful not in the sense of like I need some fucking Tony Robbins uh, fucking help uh, you know actualizing and fucking (laughs) knowing myself it's that like shout out Jordan Peterson in the in no (laughs) yeah please god Uh, whisper in whatever the opposite of a shout out is I Uh, love cannonball (laughs) I thought this no. I thought the novel was really good. No, uh, it's like yeah, uh, I don't give any answers. No. <laughs> it's just that, like, if you want to describe the situation as complicated, fair enough. Uh, and if you're trying to do a snapshot, which could be the theme, right, with photography and all this, of a moment in American history, then fair enough. But like. Something sits uneasy with me when it, uh, and I think this is uh, contra something somebody like Pynchon, who is actually trying to like give you a roadmap uh, with the books of uh, being able to discern, you know, exoteric versus esoteric sort of uh, methods of of interpretation and dealing with the fact that you are in fact being manipulated, right, uh, and that it's not just like going to get lost in the murkiness of your subjectivity. Uh, yeah, I but think I that's what I think that, yeah, go ahead, Paul. <laughs> I was going to say, like going back to Ben's Stonehenge metaphor, I feel like what, what would a, uh, a blueprint of Stonehenge 
besides like the actual layout of the stones, what would the blueprint of like the thought process behind it look like? And it, 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 it is a, a mystery. It is like something that can't totally be pinned down. Um, I, 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 I guess I, I, I guess I feel like there's a, there, there, there's a risk of getting wires crossed here in a certain way, right? Like we can talk about, um, you know, the Stonehenge metaphor, like, like, talking about the text, right? Like, is the text itself this sort of mystery that, that is uh, infinitely interpretable and is a bunch of question marks or whatever? And then we can also talk about the points that the text is arguably trying to make, right? And I do think, Matt, you have a, a point in the sense that, like, if we're talking about ideological mystification and, and uh, misinformation and... Uh, like, like, you know, media conspiracy stuff. The, the entire concept of something like misinformation is predicated on there being a true information, right? On there being a reality of, you know, what the misinformation is attempting to obscure. And I, I think that point is well taken. But I guess I wonder about, like, if we're talking about just the text as a sort of object, which I think maybe is the, the, the better or the closer relation to Stonehenge or something like that, I think the text itself can be a question mark without the themes and content themselves being question marks, if that makes sense. I think I might know what Matt's discomfort is going for, because this is what happened to me with Unless you want to answer that first, Matt. Sorry. No, no. Okay. So this is a this is a Destiny stream now. We're just debate. It's we're debate bros. No, I do like Destiny though. <laughs> but um, I, I think the thing is also I can relate because this happened with women and men. Because when you really read McAvoy, it's not about like conspiracy plots and stuff like that. It's really about human interaction and the interpersonal relationship. That's his core. That's why I think women actors in the house is kind of underrated because. I feel like that's where he really crystallizes it. So, if you weren't feeling that from the, um, if you weren't feeling that from like the character interactions in this book, which is totally fair, um, then you, you're never gonna get that with like the quote-unquote plot conspiracy point of it. Because that was my dissatisfaction with women and men. I wanted a lot of more of the sci-fi elements. I wanted more of like the the weird techie stuff in there and stuff like that. The sci-fi elements. Yeah, but like the thing is with women and men. The book was never really about that. The genre elements in Macor are more of like a, oh, sorry to say, but like a diving board, a springboard to jump off and go into the more interpersonal stuff. So if the interpersonal stuff is not grabbing you, the genre elements are never going to be there to fulfill you in that way. And so if you if you have that, if that's where the dissatisfaction is coming from. I 100% understand that because that happened to me with Macor in a book or two. Yeah, it's it's not you know it. it I feel like it varies. I feel like it's very specific to this one, and this is why I'm glad you can yeah. talk about it, though, because like, it's in isolation. It's completely in isolation to anything else he's done. But I, my my hunch is that something like Women and Men, which uh, I, I assume is more on the psychological basis of like relationships, uh, that's to a where this degree, yeah, yes, that's where I feel it like reminds this me of Men of... Without Women by Murakami. <laughs> oh, chill, 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 dog, chill. <laughs> It's literally the opposite. It's men with yeah, men and women. Well. Paper Bridge was teased a video about that, about comparing those books at the beginning of the year. But 
um, the video hasn't come out yet. Probably because it's incomparable. But I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabe and I read Men Without Women each each short story for our YouTube. Go to our, subscribe to the Spinecrackers YouTube channel and oh, the Bookshore YouTube faces. channel. Oh, let me. I'm gonna subscribe to that tonight. Then I didn't know about that. Nice. Yeah. We went through every every short story. Yeah, it was good. Oh, nice. But uh, only to say, you know, that like uh, the style, if it's repeated in every novel that I've encountered for Cannonball seems more in service for something more more human and less something uh, sort of that could be concretized in something like geopolitics, I guess. He gets a lot more human with his other novels. I think if you read Lookout Cartridge or Actress in the House, I think you would have you would enjoy it a, a lot more. I feel like it would crush it in those uh, contexts, oh, and yeah. it's just a shift to something as um, kind of immediate and memorable as the Iraq War for me personally. <laughs> that uh, yeah. it 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 just sort of uh, creates a dissonance with my own memories, ironically enough, or whatever. You know, mm, that's interesting. And, yeah, and you know, I, I'm uh, I, I read all the Iraq War, so I'm biased. And two, this book had to do with Southern California culture, which really fits because <laughs> well, we have a lot of military people. So, yes. like, if you're not connecting with it on that level, like, absolutely. Because some people were like, oh, you didn't like women and men? So, like, um, um, so if, if that's, so I can totally understand why if you didn't like this novel, like, I, I totally get it. But, you know, you have to, you have to be a very smart person and read all of Pynchon for us to really get this novel. <laughs> oh, no! You're going to do, oh, like no. do me like that, Ben. You're going to do me like that. The thumbnail is going to be Matt owned by Ben. <laughs> with facts and logic. <laughs> oh shit! Facts really do not care about my feelings right now. There's only there's only two genders. You either enjoyed your book. Holy shit! That's the extract quote. Yeah, that's so good. If I see like a ch- if you like Photoshop me and that change my mind thing, I'm blocking you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I don't use Photoshop. I use meme editor apps on my phone. Of course, that's you that, do. That, yeah. 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 Um, to get that unworked quality that seems yeah. more genuine. So, so JPEG Jags. <laughs> can we talk a little bit about uh, the inventor oh, a, as a character? Oh, I forgot about yeah. him. Yeah, I, 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 oh, is that true? It's implied. What? Oh my, yeah. Okay. Oh, fuck. Okay, so, so 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 just for the list, McRoy extended so, universe. Yes, kind of. Not oh, really. Wait, wait. So is with the McElroy, It would just be MCU again, right? McElroy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cinematic universe. So okay, so I, j- just for the listeners that are still with us, uh, who are the Giga Chad Spinecrack heads, um, the inventor is this character who owns kind of like a, a secondhand junk shop or, 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 or whatever that Zach and, um, what's his name, M, uh, his, his friend. He's a really B-movie character out of here. Yes, yes. And he's, so he owns this shop that Zach goes to as a kid and um, buys these envelopes from? Like, what the fuck is up with the envelopes? I, I, I want to flag that also. And, and his name is always capitalized in the text. Capital T, capital I, the inventor. And uh, ultimately, Zach brings him back this scroll that he gets from the priest, and he translates it. And I, I, I guess I'm just like, 
what is the function of this character? Like, why is he in the story? Who is he? What's the vibe? I had the same questions. And Women and Men, there was another character called the Inventor in Women and Men. I'm going to disappoint you guys right now, much in like true Macaronian fashion. It's not an extended universe because things don't line up properly. Damn it! Yeah, because like the Inventor in Women and Men is kind of, if I remember correctly, I kind of forgot. But it's like this implied character that's constantly maybe reincarnated throughout history and has a specific but then there's also a specific person okay here's here's the best example of the macroics that's in the universe letters left to me is all about a letter that you, you only get snippets of throughout the novel it's about a letter that a dad who died and leaves it to his son and heinz kidnap the main character who has a dad who's missing from his life and he just like with the character in letters left to me he gets that letter in college but you actually read the letter and i was like oh shit Oh shit, this letter that to me is like the sequel to Heinz Kidnap. I compare the letter excerpts from Letters Left to Me to Heinz Kidnap. Different letters. Well also, but 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 okay, right? Like just to get just to get fucking weird with it for a second, you know, if you're talking about uh, uh in Letter Left to Me where it's a dad leaving his son uh, a letter or something, in Cannonball, Zach buys this envelope that he gives to his dad on his birthday oh. that we don't know the contents of e- ever i think yeah and so I, i'm like now if i'm doing macro like mcu mcelroy cinematic universe stuff it, is it the same letter who knows right like, like there's a like, there's a problem, there's a problem. I, i'm there's, sure it doesn't there, there is it because it's a it's that one's in the past but okay okay the problem was that in, in Women and Men, there was a character named Anziza and a character named um, The Inventor. And at one point, they're both trying to learn how to control the weather and everything. Um, the problem is that, and this is a big criticism towards Women and Men, they were so similar in characterization mm. that I, in my head, I still get them mixed up on what they did and everything like that. But it's like this, and it's, like, it's kind of like, wait, was Anziza the one who was reincarnated? It was The Inventor? So... And there was a whole chapter with both of them together. I'm like, oh my god, these guys are like the same person. But I don't think in an intentional way. So um, I I wish I could say more about that. But th- that part of my brain from where I'm just kind of like he, left me in a bit. Yeah, it, 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 he just like, on a visceral level reading it, I don't know if you felt this way, Paul, or, or, or Matt or whatever, but like he felt important to me, like the inventor. But like I could never piece together precisely what his role was you know what it's kind of like you know like in cartoons where they have like the junkyard person who builds stuff and everything it's like it, it felt like <laughs> they just like picked that aspect up and just put it in this novel out of this realistic novel out of nowhere kind of like the scene with like when umo jumps the pole and it explodes it's like this looney tune stuff that just comes out of nowhere and it's inserted into this novel so no the adventure yeah. feels i had the same exact feeling he feels very important but very out of place and yeah. it's like the same wham He's very important, but you don't know directly how. But, you know, he's making all these scientific discoveries. You just can't place it exactly. Yeah, I felt pretty dumb in my analogy of what I thought of him because it was mostly just like I was thinking of Resident Evil 5 with the guy that was like, so what are you buying? <laughs> oh. oh, that was four. What are you? I think that was four. I think that was four. I think what are you selling? Game. What are you selling? I, I, I saw a Let's Play on Resident Evil 4. I think that would be a better <laughs> comparison for the priest. Like you just, like you just go fight this boss and he's just out of, comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's better. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the guy that was, like, selling you stuff actually had a purpose and you could pinpoint it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that one. You want some Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he opens up his trench coat and he's got, like, some Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. in it. Jesus is a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of stigmata? These are the nails. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I, I, I feel like that is, in some ways, the most baffling part of the book. This character, the inventor. I, 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 I don't know what to make of him. He seems like He's the future. Mr. Stonehenge. He seems like the future as well for like some sort of American, like you were saying, almost Hamid present, like a. Uh, uh, he has that affinity with Umo for reasons that seem like they could be connected to just sort of foreignness. And uh, there like, was a moment when I was reading it when I when I thought the inventor was Umo's father somehow, but that's mm. I don't that's not I don't think that's real. Because he makes the uh, pivotal translation of the little scrap of the scroll that he gets from the chaplain, right? Uh, as well as seems to have some sort of like pseudo relationship with Umo way before. Zach ever meets him. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he has a curio shop, too, which I, it's like, I don't know if you can m- make that a metaphor, I guess, but just sort of like containing seemingly useless shit. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the... Um, oh, that's interesting. I'm on the Wikipedia for women and men, because also the interventor always seemed like an old man, even from childhood to when they were adults in the novel. But yeah, I was right. He reincarnated... He, um, I was trying to like jog some memory... He, the inventor reincarnates himself um, every generation as his own nephew. Oh! So, that's why you can what? probably have the inventor, like, from cowboy days and women and men and, like, present day, like, 19... That's fucking... Like dude, that. that's... Yeah. Okay, McElroy Cinematic Universe confirmed. Confirmed? Yeah, because he's, he's alive in 1893 in the book, so he does reincarnate himself and everything like that. Whoa! Again, and, like, he's very okay. scientific. He's working with Anza to, like control the weather and whatnot and like mapping up like cognition by the coastline well and in 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 cannonball he speaks like 20 languages or something yeah yeah he's always shown as a genius however to what end is the is the question that we never get answered (laughs) yeah Yeah. wow macklemore is really good at writing (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the Avengers in a fifth drop, so you know it looks out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's why you dude. I forgot about the Avengers in Cannonball. Like he totally jogged my memory because I freaked out when I saw him in Wham. I was like, what the fuck? Is yeah. That? So. Just to know that he was at all a recurring character is helpful for us because like we would have gotten that otherwise, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think I think it also there's a fondness to the character, so I'm I'm guessing that's why he kind of put it in this book as well. Hmm. So he could be some sort of like transtemporal, almost like Buddha figure or a Dalai Lama kind I of mean, thing. I mean, that's that's one of the plot points of Wham. Where like two people get on this um, like this metal plate and it has to be a man and woman to go up to the space station. They have to combine themselves into like a non-gendered being to be on the space station. So maybe the inventor is the real cigarette smoking man. Cigarette smoking could man. be. <laughs> X Files. I don't watch X Files. Oh, you should. <laughs> I would just think of the G-Man from uh, freaking Half-Life. Oh, yeah. Yes. There we go. And, like, there is a sense in which Zack, you know, 
after I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed between his first and second tours and like uh, post high school. I don't really know. I, I feel like it's a j- relatively short timeline. Like, like definitely within ten years. He's, he never gets older than twenty-five to thirty. Yeah. If I just had to take a guess, yeah. So it is about yeah okay. So that's longer than I even thought because I don't know why I just like. But he he does kind of um. Well, he, he, you're right, Matt. He does enlist very young, right? Like he, like right he he's like school. yeah, like yeah, right he's out of seventeen high school. years old. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he can't be older than his early twenties by the time he reenlists. Which is common, like in here, you have they they, they had that military people at high school, and I'm next to one of the largest military bases right now, actually. So hmm. that's why I, that's why I felt like this was really after Southern California because military culture is very big over here. Yeah, and I I, I think it, it's meant to be, and that the the book itself is like meant to be like, look, you don't have a a, a formulated conception of of yourself or the fallout of what you're about to do, and like that's very important, and that's all part of the theme of manipulation and. Uh, and if authority <laughs> figures, I, I have that same view about a lot of the military people over here. <laughs> yeah, the, you're the right. Personality, you just you just a military. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. seventeen. You're seventeen. You get a boner and you go to the military. Right, dude. <laughs> dude you can I, buy a car and you can go, you know, do a tour of service. You know what they say, dude, about big guns. Big big guns. Yeah, big gun, big dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. But then, oh, no. but then Zach does a kind of like uh, intellectual development uh, written very quickly, but just sort of like you get that sense towards the end that he's been reading a lot, which is not actually a sort of like I don't think the common experience. But he's talking about all these. He's talking about Mormonism and fucking. He's talking about Emerson. Yeah. And all these, uh, I think, very pointedly American intellects and movements and and like sort of culturally significant figures uh still to arrive at what i'm not sure i i also just speaking of like uh philosophical references and movements and stuff in the book i i did want to flag you know i mentioned baudrillard earlier um the word rhizome is used a number of times in this book and that's a philosophically loaded term uh yes, sir post Deleuze and Guattari, and I wondered if uh, there's not a way that McElroy, his writing, is sort of rhizomatic. So, so the way Deleuze and Guattari use the term in this sort of like very, very like, you know, meme, like uh, explain, explain Deleuze and Guattari to me without dumbing it down or I'll kill you type way, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's this... Um, sense of having like multiple equally sort of valid entry points and moving kind of fluidly they talk about it in the context of politics obviously but literarily i'm thinking about this book as like you and memory as like rhizomatic in the sense that you can kind of jump in at any point Totally, and it, it 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 flows together in a sort of a, a sort of a system, but the entry point is not particularly important. Well, that's a good point. Maybe that because like I agree with you completely because it's like also relates to that one chapter where the, it was out of order. Yes, yes, and it, it didn't really matter. But also, that's a you guys brought up something. McElroy does that where I don't see I didn't see that as much as often as people said. Maybe I just missed it, but 
he'll just replace it off word. Like, oh, that word, that's supposed to be another word. It's not supposed to be that. Word. He'll he'll find a word and just keep put like for an example, in look at card, somebody gets stabbed, like they take it off a car and they get stabbed with it. They can get stabbed with the aerial. I'm like, what the fuck is an aerial? And like me and um, Christopher Robinson on Instagram, he's read a lot of Mac words. With the saying like, what's an aerial? Then we found out it's the British word for um, the antenna. So, so he yeah. does stuff like that. Well, I, I don't, I missed the Rizo part, but he'll take a specific word and put it in a context that it, it's not so ghastly where it throws you off and the sentence doesn't make sense, but it doesn't exactly fit there as well. Or he'll also do like, he'll do something more overtly like jarring too, or he'll like have a sentence with italicized words. And you're, you, when you read a sentence like that with, with like, you know, them or I italicized, you, it's usually, like, certain writers, like, most normal writers will write it in a way that's, like, (laughs) emphasizing that word, and you read it, like, naturally. But McElroy will do that and, like, emphasize, like, the quote-unquote wrong words, like, entirely on purpose. He, he, uh, my my dad used to tell this uh, dad joke. He would, he would, he would say he puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Oh man, my dad used to say that too. <laughs> Fuck, that's so funny. That's All sick. my dad told me was, "Um, life sucks, then you die." <laughs> Damn. Was your dad Biggie? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, or Nas? You know, but that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, Nas. Nice like, yeah, though, because yeah. that's totally true. It is. <laughs> I, I don't mind him telling me that, but I was like talking the other day, like, "Why did you tell me this in elementary school?" <laughs> but um, son, you're gonna have a lot of fun. You're three years old. It's yeah, <laughs> it's the best time of your life. But it doesn't. And you're finally getting sober now at three. Yeah, you need to get over it. I'm not 33, <laughs> but um, but like a big thing with Macro that I kind of realized through his writing is that, and maybe he does these things because, and I could be wrong about this too, but he wants to put a closer emphasis on the mundane. And on the everyday that, because if you think about it, like, and he talks about Native Americans and everything, but, you know, there's a huge emphasis on corn. And it was seen as a spiritual object by the gods, and they, they prayed for it and worship it. Why? Because corn was, like, the the bread and butter of their um, of their daily eating. So, of course, they had a lot of divinity in the mundane. Like, in the Aztecs, they had the god of death, they had the god of rain. They also had the god for bugs, because bugs are important. If you think about so much of our daily lives, we don't place that importance on it. So... I think McElroy, what he wants to do is put that importance and divinity back in the mundane. And maybe that's with him, like, highlighting certain words that we ordinarily would just be, like, filler content in a sentence that we mm. think about. By putting that italics, it brings attention to that. And and those words are important because if we didn't have that, the sentence just wouldn't flow properly, structurally as is as well. I, I just, just to put, push back on that a little bit, like I, I, I get that from the uh, uh, literary perspective in terms of the writing, but but in terms of the content, like uh, like a a three hundred and fifty pound like Mongolian dude doing a cannonball and causing an explosion and it triggering a conspiracy about lost dead like that's about as far as from the mundane as you could possibly get, right? I, I agree with you with this book, but once you get to, like, portions of McElroy talking about architecture of a city or yeah, farming, yeah, yeah. farming seaweed, you might, it'll give you a different viewpoint. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that not, makes it's sense. Not as, it's not as present in this book. I actually, I absolutely agree with you on that one. 
And yeah. also, like, you know, hidden Dead Sea Scrolls is the furthest thing from mundane you can possibly think of, so. <laughs> and also, like, you know, it, it felt like maybe one of the themes for this specifically is also just the inadequacy of language and, like, the, the like, the just the kind of, again, like we said earlier, lost in the sauce. Just the, <laughs> there are so many things that just sort of even are homonyms that kind of sound like the same word and there's a lot of emphasis on on people sort of like saying things that if you said aloud kind of like Finnegan's Wake would create a pun or some sort of other word and and how that creates confusion also and and all this it's funny you say about the homonym thing because he does that with names there's so many names in other books where you get confused because they sound similar to other people's names yes like when yeah. they're saying exactly and they keep saying exactly, exactly. Yes, and that Zach, sounds like, exactly, yes. And it sounds like Zach, you know, the essence of Zach himself. And yeah. to, well, this is... This conversation. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to bring in another postmodern philosopher, right? This is also one of Derrida's uh, uh, sort of fundamental insights or one of his jokes that he likes to do. Like literally the whole term hauntology right. was a play on the fact that in French, ontology and hauntology would be pronounced essentially exactly the same way. And that there would be no way to distinguish between the two in Mm. spoken word. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's just another element at play here. Yeah. It's going to be funny because somebody's going to buy this book and read the first five pages like, yo, man, these sentences are not that hard. What are they talking about? <laughs> I know. That's the thing is, like, again, yeah, to circle fully, the language of the book on a, on a just kind of, like, I don't know, thesaurus level is not, is not that difficult. Uh, we might want to segue maybe to the, to the Scrabble word portion of it. Yes. Them. Okay. So, all right. Remember this. Oh, right. fuck. I forgot. Ben. Will, I did not. I did not either. We, we didn't tell Ben about it either. So well, I'm I'm it. telling him now. So <laughs> you, you don't have to participate in this segment, but we have a few closing segments on the show, Ben. Oh, I thought you were talking about something in the book. Like, I do not remember this. No, no. <laughs> so we do a segment where we think of a word from the book that would be a good Scrabble word. Cannonball. That would be a great... Uh, boom. Spoiler alert. good one. <laughs> no, just kidding. So, so a good Scrabble word? Yeah. Either, you know, uh, interpreted broadly, right? Either a word that you didn't really know, that was new. Oh, okay. Or, um, ju- or just one that would be good for Scrabble. Uh, I'm going this like a year after I read this book. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> it's unfair. You get a pass. You get a pass if you, you do get can't a pass. find one. You know, but Matt... I use my one from from Lookout Cartridge, Ariel. Yes. Okay. I'll accept it. Nice. A, well, how do you spell spell it? Uh, spell it. A R I E L, I think. Ariel, or is there an E in there? I said E. A E. Yeah. A R I E L. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me check. What I'll the, check it. I also, Gabe, you know the points of the letters better than I do. Oh no, I spelled it wrong. It's. A E R I A L. Oh I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a shit speller. I'm gonna let you know right now. <laughs> That's all right. Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, Matt. You said you prepared. What's your word? Well, mine is Onyx. Like a, a Pokemon. It's a great Scrabble. <laughs> yeah. I think it's actually spelled the same. O N Y X. Yeah. It's spelled exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Short and sweet. A lot of a lot of uh, value. Um. 
if you can get it, you know. YX, so that's fucking who, baby, money. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so mine is uh, it's on uh, page two twenty one, and it is uh, Killam K I L I M, which is apparently a type of Middle Eastern rug. Cool. And uh, yeah, K M. Those are both good letters. L is I think two points. So. Well, you want to think it's, of it's, it's both a word that I didn't know and one that would generate some decent Scrabble value. I, I just went to a, I just went on that page and I saw a word from there. It was um, it was Ziploc, a kind of American bag. <laughs> <laughs> An American that, bag. American We're bag. an American bag. <laughs> if you can't kill animals, why do we even have it? <laughs> yeah. Paul, did right. you have one? Paul. No, I'm uh. I'm passing. Okay. Hard well, this pass. is this is your segment, so. Yeah, you. My made segment. It, so. uh, but yeah, I, I don't have one. I'm I'm passing. Okay, then we'll move on. Uh, ben, I don't know if you know this segment, but this is a uh, a fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming we have fans, where I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Now. Yes, King. Yes, King. <laughs> Where we, uh, you're a wizard, Harry. Where we, uh, justify talking about Harry Potter by the fact that we just read another book that's, you know, better than Harry Potter. Yeah, we just did read another book. We literally just read another book. So So we get to talk about Harry Potter now. Okay, I'll talk, start off. Um, this is why you should read Cannonball, because Harry Potter is garbage trash. And like, you're under the, in fifth grade. What? Dude, if you're watching this to about Harry Potter, you need to reevaluate things in your life, get on and become a fucking adult. So many, so much breaking Dude. news on this podcast. Hey, if you like Harry Potter, why don't you try Infinite Jest while you're at it? <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Dude. They're the same. Ben. That's fucking spicy. (laughs) Oh, and I'm canceled. You are canceled. Yeah, you're canceled. We're trying to grow our brand, and you're out here throwing fucking wrenches in the works. (laughs) Dude, you're as canceled as J.K. Rowling. You're in the same (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm a turf exclusionary in the sense of Harry Potter. (laughs) But listen, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. And in this case, the ball is a bludger from uh, fucking Quidditch, and we're going to do Harry Potter. Um, so, so comments to youtube.com slash bookshore if you feel Yes. That's true, yeah. Direct your hate there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hate subscribe. Hate subscribe yes. to bookshore. Right. Wait, so, so Ben, do you, do you even know the Harry Potter houses then? Are you like, because this is like, this yeah, is, we have to um, do this. It's Dumbledore. My my brother was a huge Harry Potter fan. I read like the last book and maybe like the third one. I saw all the movies. It's um Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Slytherin, and fuck Ravenclaw. Bird, bird, Ravenclaw. Yes, but let's be honest. Like they never talk about Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw at all. That's true. But we do. But we do. Controversy we address. Yeah. I I took a Harry Potter quiz one time. I like I got Gryffindor and I got a unicorn wand. Ooh, what? Yeah, I think I think I'm a main character. Like, fuck that shit. They're fighting Death Eaters and everything. Let me pass my potion class and get and just go work at a community college. 
<laughs> I'm Yo, sorry, community, dude. Co- community college Harry Potter professors that say it. I don't want to be wrapped in with all that nonsense. Fuck that. <laughs> it's un- it's too I took late. One you once. already qualified. No, damn. I was a Gryffindor. I had a, a dolphin as a as a Patronus. See, and my cool. wand my wand was 13 and a half inches long, which is very, <laughs> very accurate, I must say. <laughs> oh, man. My... My friend sent me this thing on 4chan one time. Like, have you ever heard a dolphin orgasm? I've yes. never heard it. I know yeah. they have orgasms. Okay, but... Matt, you've heard it, right? Yeah. Wait, was it, did you Paul? Did you hear it? Oh, I, I mean, I've heard of the story about the like the Jane Goodall type person who like masturbated dolphins. A I dolphin. thought that's what you're talking they, about. Like, it was a guy like sucking one off. But anyway, um, like <laughs> a dolphin orgasm is like the most terrifying sound on like the planet. <laughs> Can we do it? Ugh. Can you do it? Re- no. Yeah. I okay. can pull it up. I'll pull it up. Wait. I yeah, pull up the. Let's mind. pull up. Let's pull up the audio and just. So, get a, like, so somebody got canceled with the Harry Potter. Let's <laughs> <Just think> so. <laughs> go full hog. Yeah. So speaking of hog, you guys got to read that book. I know. Full, full dolphin hog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so while Ben is pulling up the audio of uh, uh, dolphin orgasm. This the point of this segment is that we take all of the characters from the book we just read, not all, but the, the the main ones, and put them into Harry Potter houses. Okay. So, where should we start with First Cannonball? Off, are you going to put the inventor in a house, or is he going to be like one of the? Uh, I I would I would say we should. We should establish who should be uh, housed. So certainly Zach, Umo, uh, Emily. Emily I think the inventor... And the dad, I think. And the dad, yeah. I think that's it. I think that should be it, though. All right, let's do that. There's, like, Liz and the, like, uh, driver chick and stuff, but what Yeah, you his childhood girlfriend and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm going to start up straight with... Let's do the dad. Yeah. Dad is... Uh, Slytherin. Explain. He's self-interested. He's like the dad that, like, uh, if he weren't embroiled in weird governmental conspiracies, he's kind of he would be the dad that would just be like, "I'm gonna make model airplanes and drink in the garage and not <laughs> deal with my children," uh, because he just seems to kind of want to just be like a coach, but like a winning coach. And he had like it seemed Olympic aspirations at one point, and he just seems very oh, self-involved yeah, explicitly. Yeah. Just, like, very self-involved, like, everything he's doing to the instrumentalization of his son is, like, for his own gain. Okay. Well, it also Compelling. adds to, like, the, the, the family lineage thing, like, my family has to be strong, Slytherin. That's very Slytherin. Like, True. family, you know, bloodlines and all that stuff. Of course, the guy with the 13-inch wand is talking about bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yo, any girls out there that want to... Have a, like a little taste of my thirteenth wand. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wow. How many? How, how many times can this podcast that be was, removed from the internet? That wasn't a sexual metaphor. It's not my wand that I do yeah. magic with. <laughs> Pectrum Patronus is not a sexual. <laughs> I think there's actually like a big spectrum, like a big like uh, juxtaposition between having a dolphin as my Patronus and my wand being that big. <laughs> Right. Yeah, kind of sucks. <laughs> it kind of evens it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the few sex for pleasure creatures on earth, but yeah. So, Paul, are you are you Slytherin for the dad? Yes, yeah, 
I agree with everything Matt said and the added like aspect of him wanting like his family to be strong like that that adds to my Slytherin yeah uh, the, the the family lineage thing p- pushes me over the edge into Slytherin for sure yeah Ben what do you think yeah all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> tight 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 all right, like Harry Potter's stupid <laughs> <laughs> You guys are wasting your time. Uh, I think he's a Quidditch. <laughs> well, there is something called the snitch. He's not squib. a snitch, though. Squib. No, the... Uh, well, what, there is the... a snitch. Yeah, that's yeah, the but that's ball like a ball. That's, like that's a not a house. You can't be well, a Well, Ben said Quidditch. I was making a joke like Ben did. And you guys yeah, aren't okay. laughing, though. Uh, well, Whatever. His no. was funnier, so... Well, you know. Hey, Ben. Ben, uh, we have an opening on the podcast. Oh, dude. <laughs> oh no! I'm trying to be professional out here. <laughs> Are you implying that we're not professional? Excuse me. I don't have to imply it, but <laughs> I'd say the sister. That was never the goal. All right, let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, M Emily. Yeah. Well, she'd be Ginny because like a close family <laughs> friend wants to be with her. Okay. You know so much more okay. than you're Yeah, you know, know about Harry Potter. You love Harry Don't Potter. Don't lie, dude. You Don't love lie. It. Listen, you love hate, Harry Potter. Hatred. It's not racism. This hatred does not come out of ignorance. Out <laughs> right. It's genuine in the sense that it's informed. It's yeah. studied. It's studied yeah. hatred. I hate those Brits. No. <laughs> dude, I'm with you. Yeah, those Brits do suck. Yeah. I, feel like this, I feel like uh, Emily is Ravenclaw. Pretty, pretty hardcore. Why? She... <laughs> no, that's Hufflepuff. No, don't tell, don't, don't tell Paul. Paul defends Hufflepuff. I do. Because he is one. No, I, 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 that's not true. I, I feel like Emily's way. role in the story is, is she has this kind of like intuitive, intellectual understanding of things that she, you know, communicates to Zach in, in, in kind of esoteric, like obscure ways. And to me, that just feels, and, and, you know, there's a few scenes where she's depicted as, you know, sitting at, uh, Zach's talking with his dad or whatever, and she's like sitting off in the corner reading a book or something, and she interjects a comment or, or, or two. And that just gives me Ravenclaw energy. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to agree. I think, uh, I think she just sort of represents a sort of Sophia like, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, almost feminine intuition form of, of right of knowledge, you know, knowledge seeking and knowledge ability just about what's going on at any given moment. Okay, I agree. Ravenclaw. Ben, thoughts? Hufflepuff. Ooh. I have no idea. I'm just gonna go agree with whatever you guys say. <laughs> no, you're Hufflepuff. Huh? We got Hufflepuff think, from you. I always, I always think of like a dessert when I hear Hufflepuff. Oh my god, yeah, like a little like like French pastry or something. I will Ooh. say, I went to the Harry Potter place at Universal with some friends one time, oh, and shit. like it, the ride was pretty cool, and like um, the butters beer or whatever they have, that was really Butter good. Tasting. That sounds so good. I I, I want to go so bad. I only wanted to go on one ride, and that was a Transformer ride, and it fucking broke when I went on it. No, like, like, like these, like Megatron stabbed Optimus Prime, and then all the sound cut off. So I'm like, oh, he's dead. No, <laughs> and, dude. And I'm a, I'm a Transformers, not the movies, but I like Transformers in general. 
and like after that, Optimus just talking to us, right? And his, there was his lips moving, but there was no sound. So like, oh, that's <laughs> surreal. Yeah, but the, the Harry Potter ride is, was really cool. There's like this one where you're inside, and the animation and everything is amazing. So sick. Well, what's butterbeer taste like? Is it just like melted butter? Like no, it's, it doesn't even taste like butter. Oh god, I had something to compare it to, but. I, I imagine that it tastes like something like cream soda or something. Yeah, it was like, it was like the best – imagine like the best cream soda you would ever have. In I love like cream that. soda. Yeah, that's what it was. It was like cream soda. So um, if you ever go to Universal over here, um, definitely check out the – it was probably the coolest part of Universal Studios, to be honest. That's All awesome. Right. All right, let's talk about Umo, our boy Umo. Okay. Gryffindor, dude. Easy clap Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they had that other Chinese girl there. <laughs> what? <laughs> Cho Chang? Yes. He's talking about Cho Chang. Because he secretly knows oh. so yeah, much dude, about Harry Potter. Oh, well, he, no, he doesn't, ben, because ben, she was actually a Ravenclaw. Is that true? Oh, oh the yep. Ravenclaw's my answer, I'm, and I'm dying on this hill. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone... <laughs> Harry Potter houses are racially obligated. Yes, they're well, just, they're actually segregated. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm. Just... Hogwarts is actually uh, Little Rock Central High School in the art <laughs> desegregation. Why do you think they have so many bathrooms up there? <laughs> Dude, that's like the 1950s oh version of God. Harry Potter. Yeah, segregated oh, so bathrooms. Uh. Okay, wait. Zach. So wait, Zach. Yeah, Hufflepuff. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go Hufflepuff. He's kind of just like generally confused, and doesn't really have like a any sort of strong. I mean, I guess he has a moral code, but it's not really like operative in his behavior in any way. Yeah, ultimately, he's just Hufflepuff. He's like. Just sort of like I'm what I'm familiar with. Even even after he's sort of like uh, expanded his knowledge base and, and and inquired and kind of you know what I mean, like uh, his and, and questioned his situation, he still seems to like not change his behavior in any way. Or is he Slytherin because he wants to preserve his bloodline by fucking his sister? Fuck. Mm, <laughs> Shit. Or, or is he Gryffindor because he is brave enough to be like, Dad, I want to go to war. I you thought you were about to say brave enough to be... <laughs> to be like, I love... Yeah, because everyone that has a sister wants to have sex with them and marry them, yeah. <laughs> or is he Slytherin because like, the high ups wanted to sacrifice him? Oh, shit. No, he's I'm, or is he a squid? I'm gonna stick with my initial reaction. As, uh, I'm going with Hufflepuff. Yeah, me too. Um, me I'm. Too. Uh, yeah, me too. All yeah. right, that's a quad puff, dude. That's ten points for Hufflepuff. <laughs> All right, moving on to um, ratings. Dib's not first. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, so Ben, I don't know how you feel about this in general, but we do give numerical scores. Uh, uh, at the end of every episode for the books. And to break down the rating system that we use, you know, it's, it's one through five uh, with, uh, you know, whatever, var- infinite variations with decim- decimal points and all that. Right, right. Um, 
and roughly it works like this. Like one, anything between zero and one is like your your life is worse for having read this book, Ooh. right? Like this is this, this reading this book actively made your life worse. One to two is you know some redeeming qualities, but like overall, like would not do it again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Two to three is you know. Good, right? Like average to above average, like good book, like yeah. positive things to say about it. Three to four is good. Three to four is, is good to to excellent, right? Four plus is very good, right? Like four plus is like excellent book. Uh, I, I, yes, I would recommend it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then five, like a full five, is uh, you know, literally life changing. Like when I think about my life, there is a before this book and after this book. You oh. know that that sort of thing. Can I give it a Ben out of ten? A what? A Ben out of ten? It's about a B minus. Ben out of ten. <laughs> a B minus. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I. I Based on the, I don't give ratings, but I'll based on the ones you gave, um, I'd probably give it like a four or four point five, and that's only because mm. if we're talking about transcend, transcendent, like before and after, yeah, in the context of McElroy, that would be lookout cartridge. So there's a before me reading lookout cartridge and an after me okay. reading lookout cartridge. But this one is nowhere near on the scale of lookout cartridge. However, I do feel like this is one of McElroy's better books. And it's very special to me just because it's I enjoyed it on a personal level and it opened the gate to Macquarie for me. So. Right, like this was your first one, right on that yeah, on the this, journey. This was it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was cannonballed me into him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go next. Paul said, "Because uh, traditionally the person that picks the book gets to go last, which is Matt in this case." So I'll go next because Paul called dibs not. Uh, I would say um, I. I I was waffling a lot on this book. As as I was reading it, there were moments where I was like, "Damn, I really love this." And then and then there were after I finished it, there were moments of being like, uh, "What just happened and why did it happen?" And I, I and I don't necessarily know if I like that it happened. Um I I think my my hang up still to go back to a point that I think I made earlier is about this kind of phenomenological psychological realism where if you're going to do that and uh maybe we'll have to have you back on Ben to talk about infinite jest uh down the road uh. <laughs> I, I mean I'll I'll be on that for that if you want me to Okay okay yeah 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 because because you know I I actually enjoy that book at least so far. I'm literally, you know, whatever, a sixth of the way through or something. Mm. But in the sense that if you're going to do the like deep dive psychological phenomenological realism thing, I I I want to be invested and interested in the characters whose minds that I'm diving into. Right. And I didn't necessarily feel that with Zach in this book. I can see that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I can, I absolutely respect McElroy's talent as a writer and the way that he plays with language and, and fucks around with our reading versus speaking and, and, and all of that. Um, 
so for me, it's it's like a it's it's right at like a three point seven two. I'll say. Okay, I don't know where that two came from, but okay. It's just well, it's because we all want to be our... it's it's just because we all want to be Anthony Fantano. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, our, our rating system tends to like go deep into like three point something 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 something. You know. Yeah. Got it. Got we, it. We dive if it's 3.7, got it. 3.72, like, that's very specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we, we read so many books that it ends up, like, actually mattering, I think, a little bit. Like, we'll look back yeah. and be like, oh, I give this yeah. one 3.12, and this is a 3.01. I can see that, because with ratings, sometimes people, like, when well, you gave this a 4, you gave this other thing a 4, you gave it a 3. It doesn't, but when you give it the decimal points, it would probably make a bit more sense and everything like that. Yes. I can't yeah. wait to go to the billionth place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my turn, because Matt's last, right? Yes. That's right. Go, Pablo. Well, I had, like, uh, I mean, I had, the the actual reading experience for this book for me was, like, torturous, to be honest. Like, it was, it was, I mean, I had to read it really quickly because I procrastinated, so that added Oof. to the torture. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes against everything I like writing style-wise from a writer, like, <laughs> totally it's just like i i didn't enjoy actually reading the book but i mean i i don't know i, I think back to like uh when i first listened to the blood brothers in high school and i hated oh, them so my, much i hated that band too <laughs> but after like a month i was like because like gabe and matt loved them and i was like why <laughs> do i do i not like them and i kept listening and then suddenly i was like oh i like understand the language they're trying to get across and like i actually still love them to this day like i think and i kind of equate writers like this to that experience i have like i i tend to like be faced with a new art form and i hate it initially and then i'll like but i i don't like blacklist it i'll i'll tend to like give it the benefit of the doubt and be like or at least recognize that someone was trying to like make an artistic statement which i think mackelroy was so as I read this, I was like trying to decipher how he was writing and why he was writing the way he was. And I kind of walked away with like this impression that he actually is like a true artist. Like he, he, he found his own way of doing something and he has like his own rules almost and he follows them and he makes something unique out of those rules and it's not enjoyable at all for me. <laughs> but I also think, but I also walked away thinking, like, I would read another one of these books because, like, maybe someday I'll understand and, like, actually jive with the writing style more. Um, and it, I, I can't, I can't, like, graze over someone who I recognize as being so against the grain and so, like, artistically inclined. And just like blacklist them, I can't do that. Um, and also, I I think like thematically, I like the open ended storytelling. I like the coincidental nature of the story. So I like that was actually my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, but because like my initial just first writing reading through was so torturous, I can't rate it too high. But I'm gonna give it like a solid three point. 3.7, I'll say. Um, really quick side, the, the Blood Brothers thing. 
the band that was like that for me was um the number twelve looks like you. Oh yeah. Yes. I hated that band. But oh, I, I haven't heard them so much. I learned a bunch of the songs on guitar, so yeah. Yes, you're yeah. you you're, you're kind of like a metal guy, right, Ben? Like that's yeah, kind of yeah, your background. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, metal, I, I played a lot of metal earlier on. And Hell yeah. yeah. Who okay, you fucking with these oh, days? Awesome. Who do I fuck with? Um, I really like. I've been getting into a lot of pop punk. So I like the Wonder Years right now. And there's oh. a band named Napoleon that's really cool. Reflections is a band that I want to love, but the new album is just so chuggy. I just can't get into it that much. Man, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, the only new kind of quote unquote metal that I. I'm definitely a uh, 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 fuck sunbather. What the fuck is a? Oh yeah, yeah. An apologist for those people. What are they called again? Post rock kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like California. Same. I I like post rock a lot. Yeah, the 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 um, shoegaze metal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I I I, the the gent scene does some cool stuff in it, but like, it's so repetitive to me. So many of the bands, like Animals as Leaders, like. I, I say, mm-hmm. oh, this is a cool ass lick, and then they repeat it for like sixteen times. And I'm just like, oh my god, I just can't listen to this anymore. Yeah, I know. The, the, yeah, just like the dominating lick, the yeah. the uh, benevolent dictator lick yeah, of like, a I like, song. I like, like the, I really like the song "Woven Web." Like that's, I think, one of the best songs. But if you really break that song down, there's only like three or four licks throughout the whole entire song. So, yeah, well. Okay. What you read, man? And remember, you can't give it under a four if you haven't read all the pension yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, dude. I do. I, 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 I do fuck with daughters. Uh, daughters. The, the, the yeah, daughters sure. album is is fire to me. So, so, you fuck. You fuck daughters. Oh shit! Fuck. God damn it. Hey man, this is the this is the oh. Man Boy podcast, not the Delaney one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incest meets Phoebophilia. <laughs> if you, I no. mean, if you think about it, every person you've ever had sex with is a daughter. Yeah, of course. That's literally yeah. so you, the truth. So you do fuck with daughters. Yes. Nice. I did, cool. I did tell my best girlfriend, like, I'm like, you're not even my biological girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> that's a mind fuck kind of thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> mental. I'm surprised I never got punched for this, but I had this really bad joke like early college where I'd meet people and they'd tell me about their girlfriend. I'm like, oh, you have a girlfriend, man? It's like, yeah. Is she single? <laughs> and they would just, <laughs> every time they would just freeze. And, like sometimes be like, I hope not. <laughs> the brain just stopped every time I said that. I, I oh, shit. <laughs> Dude, that's a good college move. Yes. Psyoping your friends. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. All right, Matt, no more stalling. Yeah, I know I bad. need the requisite full reading of every McElroy and Pynchon book in order to actually give a uh, correct numerical value to his And a this full book. understanding of Rick and Morty as well. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm gonna give this book a a, a three point four. I'm gonna. Uh, it 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 had some beautiful turns of phrase, but I I just stand by what I said earlier, which is um that like this uh this realism in capturing the psychological ex- like you know I don't know textures of 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 being a certain age and like exp- like living through uh, a kind of weird political almost uh, manipulation through authority figures and and 
to me, the interpolations of memory and like whatnot uh, bog down, like I said before, kind of a what, what seemed to me a different kind of narrative uh, than was serviced by the style. Uh, I will 100% try and be reading like eventually maybe everything also that McElroy mm. wrote. I, I, I actually, I'm not at all turned off. Again, this is important to say, like I'm not at all turned off by like McElroy. Uh, and I really want to read the rest of his stuff. And I think he's important. Um, but yeah, I, it, there, something didn't, something didn't uh, marry in the, in the two, in the style meets the, the, the form and function didn't match or something like that. It, it, so, uh, beyond trying to get too bogged down in particulars, I'm going to give that a, a 3.4. You know, it's funny. Like you, you guys had all, I love that for you. Yeah. Y'all had kind of the same rating and I kind of for the same reasons also. And I was just checking my YouTube channel. Cause like the book, I felt like I really understood McElroy on was, um, actors in the house. Let me check one more thing really quickly. And that was my fourth book by him. So it took, so just to say, it's not like I'm some like, oh yeah, I understood it completely from the beginning. It, it took me a while to really grasp everything he's trying to do in everything. And, well, and, and yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I finished with that. No, I was just going to say that, 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 that's why I, I, you know, I think we were all so glad to have you on the, this pod, this episode, because, you know, McElroy strikes me as a writer where, uh, I don't want to say that the the the, the sort of like uh, I forget I'm, the phrase is blanking on me right now, but where like the sum is it's greater than the sum of its parts or something, right? But like he clearly has like a an overall worldview and sort of like Paul was sort of saying like an artistic approach that becomes kind of emergent over time, right? Yeah. He's not someone that you can just read one book on one book of and have a you know total you know view of correct it's like and a lynch kind of connection here for me too yeah that and that's why it's kind of like i don't even like to call myself the mcelroy expert sometimes because it's just like <laughs> i feel like every mcelroy book i've read after i've read it it's like cool i need to reread this in the future because i'm sure yeah. like if you guys would read cannibal same with me i need to reread cannibal also knowing all the things you know now like it'd probably be a much different experience because there's so much that's so easy to lose at a moment's notice true well i think it points to one of the cons of how we how we read books too is that like we we want to have like a big uh like difference between writers too so we won't come back to a writer for like maybe months you know we've read like a yeah. couple simonon books um but i think I, we've I only reread any... like two people or maybe one only yeah. one yeah. And I, you know, that's part of, I think, what is good about our podcast, too, is like we're trying to like be diverse with our writers. Yeah, I, I but I, I also just, think. Go, sorry, but going from like the Pearl to like Macway is a big jump in like literature yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> you could say there's no rhyme or reason to what we're doing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it might. Uh, yeah, it kind of doesn't suck, but it, it, it kind of like, uh, it doesn't doesn't really devalue a writer, but like, yeah, if we were to read all of McElroy's, which we're not going to do on the podcast, but we'd have like a, probably a better interpretation 
of him, obviously. But well, that's it, just, you know. It's also just like a format thing, right? Like, uh, and, and anyone who's listening at this point in the podcast, uh, subscribe to the Patreon. And uh, obviously subscribe to Bookshore on YouTube. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the way we do this, you know, we record weekly and, you know, trying to tackle something like Women and Men or even some of his other, you know, shorter than that, but also still long novels. Uh, it, it, it's difficult because you have to kind of schedule it like months ahead of time oh, yeah. and be like, oh, I'm going to read, you know, yeah. we, got, we, we all have to read. 30 pages a week while also reading other books to keep the, the, the content flowing into the mouths of our hungry pig audience. <laughs> well, if you, if you look at my YouTube channel with the McAvoy Marathon, and if you actually look at like the timestamps, the videos, what videos I was putting out, especially doing women and men, there was a lot of gaps. There was a lot of filler content. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, after women and men, I finished that book. Like, you know what? I don't feel like reading. I'm just gonna watch Night in the Kitchen Nightmare for a little while. Yes. So, so like, watch no, some like, Squid Game. Yeah, or some Squid Games. So like, no, absolutely. Like, if you're doing it weekly, I, I took a, I took, I could have probably done the Macboy Marathon uh, if I was reading every day uh, in a much smaller time period. But I was burnt, and especially the last two books, I had to take a huge break before I read Ancient History and um, Night Souls because I was just so burnt out on it. Yeah. You don't want to do yeah. that kind of thing. Like it actually, like like Paul. You know, uh, you said you know you were in a little time crunch. That should that should just sours you too in a way that you wouldn't normally be. Yes, I, I think I would have liked Women and Men yeah. a lot more if I because I know a guy who spent it over the, the time of the year read it. And but like Women and Men was like my seventh McAvoy book. So <laughs> and it's like the longest book in American fiction. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like yeah, no wonder had a bit of a negative yeah. viewpoint of this book. Yes, but um, yeah, like and I'm. I, like this last book, well, I'm proud to say I read all of it under a year. I think that's cool, but also I'm I'm tired of I'm I'm 30 now. I'm, I'm over like that triathlon aspect of reading. So my next two marathons, Virginia Woolf and Samuel Delaney, I'm not going to worry Fuck about doing yeah. that within the time of a year or anything like yes. that. Yes, 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 yeah. yeah. We all right. hey, well, uh, if you want to come on for uh, another Virginia Woolf book, we already did Mrs. Dalloway, but if you want to. Uh, Come on for another one once you I, get into I that. To, I need I need to reread the lighthouse, and um, that's only a two hundred pager. Bruh, that, that's one of my favorites. That would fit. So, oh, yeah, that would I fit. Once I need I need to read it. Problem with Virginia Woolf, and this is not a problem with her. It's a problem with me. I see the page count, like I can do this shit like in a week or something. But right, just I think she's underrated, even though she's so well known. One hundred percent. As much attention as Pinchon or McAvoy. Yes. Like, yes, dog. And the thing that's the thing that's difficult with her is that. She's not referential. She's, all of her writing is so insular. So if you were, if, if there was a Virginia Woolf guidebook, I have no idea what you'd even fucking put in it. Yes. What's yeah. funny is that like uh, when you talk about stream of consciousness, it's Joyce and her that get yeah. mentioned in the same breath as some of the reviews of McElroy I've been reading, and it's just it's very funny to me because it's like I can see the difference. Also, she did not really like Joyce, so it's just no, like hated, no, she hated yeah. Joyce, like full on hated Joyce. So I just love all of that, like, complication to even that simplification and kind of, like, grouping narrative within the review for McElroy shit. Yeah. It's, like, it, so weird. It's funny because, like, you look at them and it's, like, speaking of brother and sister, like, they like they have a very brother and sister dynamic. Like, you guys are so similar between yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah, right. You're trying to yeah. do the same thing, but you don't yeah. like what that you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
But no, I really had enjoyed being on here. Was, this was a blast. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, this was, it, this was this was yeah, great, man. and it, yeah. I think it was the perfect uh, time for you to come on for this book. Yeah, you can delete that dolphin segment if you want. Yeah. Oh no, we don't we don't delete <laughs> anything. Okay, cool. I don't want. Nope. I'm making sure. Like I said that. Like I don't think they're too hype on that. So if they want to get rid of it, I'm fine with that. But. I said everything I said on here, I'm fine with being in public. So, so um, people can find you at Bookshore on YouTube. Uh, yep. What's your Instagram handle? Where else can people oh, find you? It's Bookshore Ben. It's, it, no, it's, yeah, wait, what is my, oh, yeah, it's Bookshore underscore Ben for Instagram. It's just in my YouTube videos. And well, books I've, I haven't been reading this past week. I've been so busy with work, but I'm reading um, two gas books so I can read the tunnel. And I'm, I've been trying to finish up bits by joshua cohen oh shit um, dude nice. i have really you don't stop no but i have a lot of criticisms with that book I've, I've taken breaks from it and everything so this it's not going to be the most positive view even though there's some amazing aspects of that book but um, not a fan of cohen myself either yeah really this is my you heard book. it here first on the yeah. spinecrackers podcast yeah i his language i love it but like nothing's happening in that damn book like, for 800 <laughs> pages it's just infuriating yeah 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 did you read vitz as well no, no. Okay. What were what some, no. some of your poems with Cohen really quickly? Uh, uh just, just a, yeah, I, I read the Netanyahu's, which he recently came out with. Uh, I read the Book of Numbers. Uh, I read Moving Kings, and I read uh, the short story collection he came out with. And well, he did it, a lot it, more with me, yeah. I, I'm going to keep giving him th- – this is the thing, is like – and, and I, it's a strange position to be in, but it's just like – I see the artistry and I see the value and I don't almost don't care that I dislike the experience in a sense. Like I see somebody who's doing something that's not common uh, in, in their tackling of certain things and, and, and whatever. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's like, like it's, it's so pointy headed and, and, and dry and like, and it's dry. It's dry while he's trying to do something that is uh, is just not supposed to be. Like by his own design, yeah. like you, by his own intentions, he's not wanting this effect, and I can tell. But like he's he's getting it out of me, or you, I don't know. You, you're saying the exact thing I'm experiencing with another friend of mine, um, Chris Robinson, experience where it's a ma- the book is a mass, some sort of masterpiece in the level of prose and what he's trying to do and everything, but on a plot and scene by scene level, it's just. It's like you can, yeah, exactly. You can tell like he wants it to be like a really funny kind of, um, like comedy kind of humor is, book. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it's just not funny, and it's yeah. so like they do just get on with these fucking scenes. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, dead on the page. The not, Netanyahu's is probably my favorite thing I've read so far. But yeah, I really want to read that. I really want to read the Netanyahu's. That's that's been interesting. That seems interesting to me. All right. Well, uh, this is uh, the rest of this conversation is Patreon only. Right. So uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ben, again so much for coming on for this book. Oh, this is, I, I, was enjoy, I really enjoyed it going. And uh, hopefully hopefully you can come back. Uh, we can talk about Virginia Woolf or whoever. You, gotta be, you guys got to be hog. Yes, That'd I would love to. Yeah. I'd love to. Okay. Spine hogs. <laughs> Bear back. <laughs> Spine hogs signing off. Bearbacks. We're the bareback bear spine, spine hogs. hogs. Yeah. And we appreciate... Y'all for giving your ear holes a nice opening. <laughs>